Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top, excuse me, top of the morning, Dan and Amy. And the uh, dueling visits to the border from the former president and the current one went about as one might expect. Uh, Biden spent uh, his time at the border uh, shuffling around, reading off note cards so he knew which questions to ask, Uh, and then offering these uh, prepared remarks, very predictable, that he would make the bipartisan call to remember that it's not a red-blue thing, it's an America thing, and can't you come over to my side or... I'll come over to your side, Donald Trump, and let's get together and support that border surrender legislation that was so dutifully curated by McConnell and Schumer. We need to act. It's time for the speakers and some of my Republican friends in Congress who are blocking this bill to show a little spine. Pass a bipartisan board, bipartisan, as another member, bipartisan, conservative leaders supported this border security bill. Let's remember who we work for, for God's sake. We work for the American people. Let me end with this. I understand my predecessor's legal past today. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with this issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me or I'll join you and telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. You know and I know it's the toughest, most efficient, most effective border security bill this country has ever seen. So instead of playing politics with the issue, why don't we just get together and get it done? Let's remember who the heck we work for. We work for the American people, not the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. We work for the American people. Oh, so so tough. Wow. So Red Rover, Red Rover, Donald Trump, come across the aisle and over. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro, text line. You know, there was advanced billing that we may hear Biden issue some executive orders that would have been Trumpian in nature, but that didn't happen. Instead, it was just the reiteration of that that, uh, siren song of bipartisanship. I mean, he's such a feckless leader. And first of all, do you think he even knew where he was? And then when he got there, he was he was in Brownsville where there's no action, Dan. And then they had him kind of walk near the Rio Ground. There was a brushy area. Uh, it could have been a little creek. Nothing was going on. And they brought in this boat uh, to make it look like they're patrolling the border. And as soon as he left, they took that boat out of the water and left. I mean, this is don't be fooled by this guy. And of course... There, there was one point in time, because I watched all the, I find this fascinating for some reason, where he was meandering 
it was time to start. So you had to approach the lectern and give your speech. But And this lady from the Border Patrol, she was acting like Jill Biden all day, babysitting him. This is her telling him where to go when he was staring at um, an, a, a, a picture on an easel. Hold on one second. Hold, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, three, just take some phone calls. I can't find the soundbite right now. But 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line. Oh, here it is. Here it is. It's amazing. Thank you, HSI. Thank you, ERO. Sir, it's time for remarks. And um, our briefers, I invite you to our seats. And then we'll escort you this way. Mm-hmm. And he's okay. still staring. Okay. Great job. Thank you. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, it is worth noting that there, you know, were some, you know, Border Patrol rank and file that had been assembled as backdrop for Biden. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the leadership, and you know, this is always interesting too, because I know how pro-union Democrats are, right? And you you respect these unions, but for some reason, that respect—it's sort of like with experts. For some reason, you you defer to the experts unquestionably. Except when it comes to law enforcement or border security. And when it comes to unions, A, A, whatever the unions want, except for law enforcement and border security. Brandon Judd, the head of the union for border security. President Biden going to Brownsville. Did the Border Patrol Union ever get any outreach or invitation from the White House about that visit? Not at all. And I didn't expect it. He's not going to listen to voices of reason. He's not going to listen to people that are going to tell him what he actually needs to secure the border, the programs, the operations, the policies. He doesn't want to hear any of that. And if he would have invited me, that's exactly what I would have said. Yeah, he doesn't want to hear that. No. From the unions, though, the what, the what happened? What happened to the love affair with unions? Oh, not not the law enforcement or border security unions. I just I just can't make that point strongly enough. Experts have spoken, except when it comes to law enforcement or border security, then we just ignore them. Hmm. Then we become the experts, clearly. Raul Ortiz was uh, the head of border security for the Biden administration between the years 2021 and 2023, relatively recently. The only way you're going to actually hear firsthand is by talking to those Border Patrol officials, by meeting with the chief of the Border Patrol. I've made it perfectly clear. When I was the chief, I never once met with the president or the vice president. And I think it's long overdue that they sit down and roll up their sleeves and start coming up with some solutions. So your point person for border security, um, neither the president or vice president ever met with, as one uh, wag put contextualize it. President Biden has met with Dylan Mulvaney more times than he's met with the Border Patrol chief. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So there's uh, a little bit of an illustration of priorities, I suppose. And, and Biden brought me, my Orcas and Trump was with Greg Abbott, the governor. Yeah. And, and so I, I don't know which dynamic duo do you like better there? Yeah. Speaking of uh, that Jeff Bezos impersonator, Ali Mayorkas, uh yeah, well, and going back to the executive order thing. Uh-huh. Um, they can reverse it. Just get out a pen and paper. Just reverse it. Well, I mean, we were yeah, reminded of this of, upon the occasion of these dueling visits. We were reminding of, of this uh, statement back a couple of years ago when they were beating their chests about doing every doing the opposite of everything Trump did on every issue. 
Uh, Ali Mayorkas on MSNBC talking to Nicole Wallace said this. And I'd like to understand from you what Trump era immigration policies have been banned, ended, reversed, and if any investigations are underway by you. Uh, so we have rescinded so many uh, Trump immigration policies. It would take so much time to list them. I mean, so if you rescinded them, then you could reinstitute them. Right. With a stroke of a pen. Nobody wants to ask those impertinent questions. Chris and uh, Carrie are on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, Dan. I'm glad you guys brought up the whole union thing. It's sickening that he will stand behind every other union but this one. It's just it's, it's disheartening. The, 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 un, the one union, the one union or the, the few unions that don't know what they're doing, and they're to be completely ignored, police and border security. I just find that fascinating. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so this is a rhetorical question, of course. But why, if, if this is a national security issue, why doesn't he push it through like he did with COVID and everything else? I mean, just ignore the, the Republicans and do it. He, he has. has no interest in he has pushed it through. You just heard Mayorkas talk about how they pushed it through. They pushed through their policy agenda on border security. They did it. It's done. So there's nothing more to do except, you know, except bipartisan, blah, blah, blah. You except try to come up with a bipartisan facade to convince people that you're serious about border security, that somehow this crisis was uh, unanticipated and it's the fault of uh, all parties involved equally and so on and so forth. But 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 that's the whole that's the irony of it. He did by executive order what he wanted to do. It's already done. You just heard my orcas detail it. Thanks for the call, Chris. Why doesn't he just do this? He already did what he wanted to do. He doesn't want to do what you want him to do. That's why he doesn't do it. Clay in Libertyville. Morning, David. Yeah, David. Uh, Joe was probably staring at that picture on that easel because it reminded him of an original hunter. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. Is that my son's blower? Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Trump calls his bluff, and I say, hey, if I was Trump, hey, let's meet, let's discuss it. It would take an extreme amount of restraint, and it might open Trump up just because of who he is, but I see that. And I, I want to know, why does everything require a bill? Why can't you just tell these guys to go do their jobs? Why does it always need a bill? Why, why are we always trying to pass bills to solve solutions that are already on the books? Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Clay. Yeah, actually, yeah, the, the whole prospect of a, a Biden-Trump meeting, at the border, no less. Right. So it's uh, like, a, like, a, like, like a something out, yeah, like something <laughs> out of like, high doo-doo noon, doo-doo I was going to say. Yeah, they come from Yeah, they come from opposite sides, like a tumbleweed rolls by and so forth. Hmm. Good old classic shootout. Something like out of Breaking Bad, maybe. Uh, Jordan in Forest Park. You know, I'm still waiting for the Republican leadership to uh, go in front of the cameras and say, you know what? We pushed we pushed the wrong buttons on our calculator. We now realize that after 10 years, this will be this this 5,000 a day will equal 25 million. And so we're we'll, we'll be willing to think about let's let's instead of 5,000 a day. Let's talk about 20 a day or 50 a day, and let's uh-huh. let Biden respond to it. Uh, right. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Jordan. I mean, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll cede any additional time to get a Senate Republican response. 
and to Biden, and not from McConnell or Lankford, but how about Rand Paul on Cudlow yesterday? We have 700,000 people came across in the last two months, and they're willing just to punt on that. You know, they put forward a fake proposal. It wasn't any good. We shot it down. But that doesn't mean we're ready to give up on it. Many of us want to fight. 32 of us out of 48, three-fourths of us said we wanted to keep fighting. We want to actually fix the border before we ship $100 billion of our money overseas. I meet no one in Kentucky, no conservatives across the land that are for this. But the leadership of the Senate under Mitch McConnell is more concerned with sending your money to Ukraine than they are with the invasion of the southern border. And I've had enough. I'm going to do everything in my power to slow down and stop this. And I told them they can vote when hell freezes over, Mm. because, frankly, this isn't in the best interest of our country. The money has to be borrowed. We don't have a hundred billion sitting around. We borrow one point five trillion and they're gonna borrow another hundred billion. So essentially we ask China for money to send it to Ukraine. It makes us weaker. It's bad for our country. Mitch McConnell, Joe Biden, and Chuck Schumer are wrong on this, and I'm going to do everything I can to slow them down at the very least, and possibly there'll be enough of an uprising of people calling in and saying, Mitch McConnell, who are you? Do you represent the Republicans? Do you represent conservatives? Hmm. Are you in lockstep with Chuck Schumer? Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We were talking about uh, the uh, two presidents' respective runs to the border yesterday, Biden and Trump. Biden pitching a bipartisan kumbaya to formally surrender and uh, allow the importation to continue, but in a more um, organized fashion, just to slow the flow slightly um, so that it doesn't seem as chaotic. Think a little bit more orderly. The orderly going out of business sale for America, just like we've had for Illinois for the last 20 years. Very orderly. Uh, President Trump, uh, during his remarks, disclosed something important, that he had spoken with family of Lake and Riley, the nursing student who was murdered in Georgia by uh, allegedly by a person uh, here illegally from Venezuela. And a big vigil for both her and another student who uh, 
uh, committed suicide, tragically, at the University of Georgia. But anyway, here's what uh, Trump had to say about Lake and Riley. Uh, He'll say her name. Just one week ago, a beautiful 22-year-old nursing student from Georgia was barbarically attacked, almost unrecognizable, while she was out on her morning run. She was a morning run. She was doing a keep herself in shape. She was a beautiful young woman. She was a great person, best nursing student there was. I spoke to her parents yesterday. They're incredible people. They're devastated beyond beyond belief. But she was beautiful, just so beautiful in so many ways and brutally assaulted, horrifically beaten, kidnapped and savagely murdered. The monster that charged uh, charged in the death is an illegal alien migrant who was led into our country and released into our communities by crooked Joe Biden. He's crooked. I took the name away from Hillary because she's no longer relevant, I guess. She was terrible, but he is what he is doing is just unbelievable. Joe Biden will never say Lake and Riley's name, but we will say it and we will remember it. We're not going to forget her. It's been just a horrible story that we've had to live with for the last few days. It's hard to believe. And her parents are just, they can never be the same. I mean, he has the blood of countless innocent victims on his hands, Biden does. And I think Trump was successful at getting that point across yesterday. In the last week, we've had uh, people in this country illegally arrested for murdering a nursing student in Georgia, Lake and Riley. A two-year-old. Murdering a two-year-old boy in Maryland. Raping a minor in Virginia, raping a minor at knife point in Louisiana, and also this one. We've talked about all the, those four cases that were just uh, just mentioned, but also this one: shooting three D.C. police officers. Oh, really? Barricade suspect accused of shooting three D.C. police officers is Jamaican citizen in U.S. illegally. Uh, the man accused of shooting three D.C. police officers, leading to an hours-long standoff, and is in the U.S. illegally, according to ICE. Um, and uh, you won't be surprised by what follows. He has a criminal history that dates back to 1995, including previous convictions for larceny and drug charges. ICE says he was also deported to Jamaica in 2001 and came back into the U.S. illegally. Of course. That's what they do. He was arrested on the evening of February 14th, hours after police attempted to serve a warrant at his home for alleged animal cruelty. When officers arrived, he opened fire through his front door, hitting three of them, barricade, then barricading himself inside and refusing to come off, come out for 12 hours. Yeah. So that's the last week. And, and again, good week. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a few individuals and so on and so forth as, uh, you know, percentage of the whole. Right. And there's no distinctions made and there's no process apparently in place that we can have any confidence in that would remove people who shouldn't be here and people who uh, shouldn't be let in in the first place. Well, President or shouldn't have been yeah. let in in the first place. Oh, sorry for interrupting. President Biden, he was <clears throat> asked about Lake and Riley when he walked away from the platform. Mr. President, do you bear any responsibility for Lake and Riley's death? 
they had some goofy piano music. I mean, what are we, what are we on the promenade deck on the love boat? They had a uh, pianist there. Like, did you see him? Play? I mean, he's deferring his answer on the topic to uh, well, first Katie Porter. And then the mayor of Athens, Georgia, and now KJP, they're having a real problem uh, messaging on Lincoln Riley's murder because, you know, they're they're cardboard cutout human beings. That's why they're having this problem. KJP on CNN pitching the White House's position on Lake and Riley. Again, I mean, this is a horrific, horrific loss for any family. And obviously, uh, any if whoever is found guilty, uh, we need to make sure that uh, make sure that that happens. And obviously, uh, we don't want to uh, we don't want to see uh, anything happen like that again. But here's the thing. We have done the work. Uh, to make sure we're dealing with a broken immigration system. The Republicans have gotten in the way. They have gotten in the way. And that's what we continue to see over and over and over again. And so, look, this is a serious, this is a serious matter. Man, she is smooth. She is so bad at her job. She's got to be the worst press secretary I've ever seen in my life. And she's uh, no empathy. I'm not saying like, something. I mean, I think of Dee Dee Myers and... Other boy, that is saying something. Even her predecessor, Jen Psaki, uh, she was also a one-dimensional uh, human being. Uh, Jen Psaki is with uh, with lizard blood. Wow. Uh, Nick in Hinsdale, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I want to know if there's any way you can run it up the ladder. Why not start using the language of the Democrats are responsible for this um, craziness that's going on with the immigration instead of just pinning on Biden. In my opinion, Biden steps down in in May or June and then they'll say, oh, that was Biden that did that. That was his Democrats have been silenced the whole time on this. And you should start calling out the Democrats instead of just Joe Biden, because I have a feeling other people will run. And then you put it on their plate instead of just saying, oh, well, Biden did it. We, we didn't do it. You follow me? <laughs> Yeah, I do. Thanks for the call, Nick. I would say two things. One is, uh, as I continue to say, barring a health event, Joe Biden is going to be the nominee. Right. Uh, we so had one yesterday. Number one. Number two, um, even if that weren't the case, I mean, I agree with you that it's the entire Democrat Socialist Party that's responsible. And uh, many of them are happy to accept the responsibility. So um, they've dutifully, they've all dutifully defended Biden. They've all dutifully defended Mayorkas. They many of them are even more strident in their rhetoric than Biden and his spokeshumans like KJP. So I don't think they're going to be able to um, extricate themselves from the last three years of being party to this position because it's their position. It's not like you're going to have uh, uh, even if Biden were to be replaced, for example, it's not like you're going to have a replacement that has any different policies different has said anything different or has any better record i mean could you imagine if gavin newsom was oh, the nominee sorry. i would get sick to my stomach yeah but but i mean but california is a catastrophe and this is the guy who's furthest up biden's backside rhetorically trying to do you know trying to run interference and flack for him so california is a rolling dumpster fire so anyway i i, I don't think that that they're going to be able to say you know just say, oh, that was just this one guy. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to sell. By the way, there are some um, 
natives getting restless within the Democrat Socialist Party, particularly on this issue of violent criminals that are allowed to roam about the country freely until they commit one too many violent crimes, and then they have to be you know, prosecuted and put one of our prisons. You know, after after a, a few crimes and a few times in, then, you know, they cross that Rubicon and we have to do something about it, even the left. Well, but uh, well, let me think how many times. Hold, hold, hold on a second. Uh, Mayor Adams, New York City. Uh, he's starting to wobble on sanctuary city status for New York City, just on the margins. But it's a wobble nonetheless. Now, we the overwhelming number of migrants and asylum seekers that are here, they want to they want to work. I still don't understand why the federal government is not allowing them to work. They need to have the right to work, like all of us that have come to this country had the ability to do so. But those small numbers that are committing crimes, we need to modify the, uh, the sanctuary city law that if you commit a felony, a violent act, we should be able to turn you over to ICE and have you deported. It is a right to live in this city, and you should be, you should be not committing crimes in our city for doing so. Right now, we don't have the authority to do so. Think of how many times our government failed Lake and Riley. Nationally, at the border when they let him in to El Paso in 2021. Then in New York, child endangerment. He injured a child, and they did not deport him. So Eric Adams might be feeling guilty about that, that we failed her then. And then they failed her again in Georgia. I mean, he was caught shoplifting a week before, stole $200 worth of items from Walmart. They should have deported him then. Yeah. If they so, saw his past criminal record. So, uh Eric Adams is wrong about this idea. Everybody should get a work visa for, uh, that's here illegally. I mean, this is the way to try to normalize and ultimately institutionalize coming here illegally and then being essentially treated as a citizen or, frankly, in some cases, treated better than a citizen with all the benefits yeah. associated. But 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 the idea that we need to be able to turn people who commit crimes over to ICE that's not something you're hearing from BLM Brandon. That's not something you're hearing from the London Breed in San Francisco. You're not hearing it from Michelle Wu in Boston. So I, I, I'm just saying, a little wobbly there from Eric Adams. He must be looking at uh, Brandon Johnson's approval ratings. Uh, Brian in St. John, Indiana. Hey, what's up? Good morning. Um... So rhetorical question, but I, I believe if I'm if I'm correct, Senator Langford from Oklahoma was the front man telling everyone to vote for that bipartisan package, and according to the voters' log, he voted no. So why is that? I think he I think he voted I think he was one of four who actually voted yes, but this was after it was essentially conceded. McConnell publicly conceded that it wasn't going anywhere, which was why McConnell voted no. Um, to represent the majority of the caucus. But, yeah, so so Lankford, you know, I, I sponsored it. I, I'll vote yes on it, even though I know it's going uh, nowhere. But four senators, you know, gave a symbolic vote, including Lankford, when the caucus had clearly abandoned it, starting with McConnell. Thanks okay. for the call, Brian. Appreciate it. George in Naperville. Yeah, Dan, Democrats love the sound of no one is illegal, but they're having a much harder sale with no crime is illegal. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, the concern is growing, too. Uh, it's gotten uh, loud enough in New York City for Adams to make that slight move that we just documented. Yeah. It's uh, starting to um, 
be a bit more cacophonous in Boston, too, where our very own Barrington, uh, Illinois native, is the mayor. Uh, um, what's going on there? Because people are taking people into their homes. Yeah, well... How's I'll, that working out? There's um, a rich honky portion of Boston known as uh, Four Point. And uh, the rich honkies... Yeah. What are they doing? Got, got wind that um, there's going to be a shelter oh. in the neighborhood. Did you just say a shelter in the neighborhood? Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. But they're they're a little jumpy Uh-oh. all of a the sudden. These uh, you know dutiful Biden and woo voters and Healy voters in Boston and Warren voters and Marky voters. CBS reporting. Tonight, some people who live in this neighborhood voiced their anger and frustration at a community meeting with state officials about this emergency shelter that's opening its doors. Neighbors feel like they had no say in this process, and officials had no answers for them either. Can we we kindly have a little bit of decorum in the room? No, this is my neighborhood. Fuming neighbors who call Four Point Home grilled state officials about the 80 migrants who will call 24 Farnsworth Street a temporary home. The office space owned by the Unitarian Universalist Association will be turned into the latest overflow shelter. How is it a done deal when you cannot answer these questions? Safety and security, location and facilities topping the concerns. You said this is real. How are you going to ensure we're safe? So we get no say as residents of the town, residents of the city, neighbors. I would like to see a little bit more compassion. That's my point of view. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Neighbors like Brian Curley say the community oh, yeah. didn't have a voice before the decision was made. I think there's a lot of angry residents here <laughs> who feel world, the same way girl. I do, that this was being forced on us. Oh, oh. no, not that. Mm. Give me a break. I'd like to see a little bit more compassion from my point of view. Oh, wouldn't would you, sir? Yeah, shut up. Mm-hmm. Shut the front oh, door. Boy. Oh, boy. God, those poor people. My heart bleeds. But you know oh, what? Yeah. I got to tell you, there was a fire last night in Lawndale, and 20 people were, you know, misplaced, or they needed a place to live, and they're scrambling to find them a place. Like, you help illegals right away. And there's a, you know, I mean, it's it's just such, we live in such a clown world right now, where we're not even taking care of our own American citizens first. Gabby Schomburg. Hi, good morning, guys. I've lived long enough to see Democrats are the party of the problem. They love nothing more than a huge, big, messy, dirty, sloppy problem that they can try to think they're going to jump in and save and push money into. Second point, where are these people going to work? These bleeding hearts, they just want to come here and work. I want you to ask the next question, where? They're uneducated. They don't speak the language. We're going to put them on a line job. We don't manufacture anything here. It's a crack of bull, and I'm sick of it. Sick of it, and I swear to you, I turned 63 this year, and I couldn't be happier. I lived through the greatest times of the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, some of the 2000s, but here we are. Take it. Shove it up your backside. I'm done. Happy Friday. Talk to you later. All right, thanks for the call, Gabby. Well, um, I got to tell you, the, the shelter in our neighborhood, I drive by it every day, and it's just there's so much garbage out there, and there's just people just doing, I don't know what they're doing. There's some activity over here. There's some group of guys over there, some kids playing with a water bottle over there. Like, what? what is this? Well, right. What, what, well, where are they going to work? I mean, that's the Gabby question, and right. the answer is, what, what do you mean? They, they, If they 
don't speak the language and they don't have any skills, then you go just where people with those... the rest of their lives? No, they go work for the government. Oh. They'll run a midnight basketball league or a, a soccer yeah. program or something like that. Maybe they'll be the assistant to the deputy, to the assistant, to the superintendent of some department. Why not? I mean, we put well, uh, become police officers. We put in we put uh, Irish politicians, idiot cousins, in those jobs. I mean, you can hide them in government. I mean, Brandon Johnson is launching this program for our youth to be, you know, uh, employed on an annualized basis. We're setting up Gimme Dat grocery stores so they can be <laughs> clerks at the Gimme Dat grocery stores. And and if more cities would follow Brandon Johnson's lead to set up city-run grocery stores, then you'd have more jobs. There's plenty of room on the public payroll. They can be uh, ESL trainers and CPS or New York City schools or Boston public schools. Well, they are going to hire them for good. Our school. Yeah, right? but then they don't have to go through fingerprint checks. Oh, the don't worry about that. Well, There's... we all had to do that. They yeah, well, that. that's that's for you. It's not for them. David and Winneka. Hey, good morning, guys. Happy Friday. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm just curious as to why uh, uh, somebody comes from another country and they commit a they hate a horrible actor. They're called a criminal, yet yet our own population creates uh, uh, multiple violent repeat felons, and, and they're called victims. And it's just, well, if they're not criminals. They're they're newcomers. People here that come to that come here are newcomers. That's the, the official terminology from the White House. So that's come right. That comes right from the top. They're newcomers, and some newcomers might uh, become may commit a crime and become victims, like Americans who commit crimes are victims. You see. That's how. That's how you do it. Absolutely. And yeah. and, and one one. Do you think this was all started to to make the population here that ours violent felons and this and that to to tip the scale to make it seem as if we didn't have any problem until the immigrants came? No. I. I thanks for the call. I don't. I don't think anybody believes we didn't have any problems until, uh, till Biden threw open the door. We certainly had problems. I mean, I don't think the summer of 2020 is that far in the. In the rearview mirror, not just to mention the endemic crime in big cities, what's been happening over the last several years, all throughout COVID and subsequently. I don't think people have any um, delusions that it's we don't have an indigenous problem, too. This just exacerbates it, of course. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So um, earlier in the week, we had this conversation with uh, Nicholas Jacobs and Daniel Shea. These are two poli-sci professors at uh, Colby College in Maine. And they did this uh, comprehensive study of rural voters in America. 10,000 surveys, I believe was the number. And... uh, to try to you know sort of distill their attitudes about things and sort of compare and contrast to urban and suburban voters and give a picture of generally speaking the attitudes of rural voters and why they're so strongly affiliated with the Republican Party these days generally and specifically Trump and a lot of it just came down to their um Positions on issues aren't that dissimilar to center-right voters in the suburbs or in cities. But the feeling that um, they are patronized and caricatured by the urban voters and the urban media, that's really what came across. And so perhaps there's a a little bit more of a recoil to things urban and suburban from rural voters Uh, because of that, because of the feeling that uh, they're looked down upon, seen as less than. A good example of this uh, was provided by Kamala Harris not so long ago uh, in one of uh, her Deep Thoughts offerings. And now, Deep Thoughts. People are talking about potential compromises. Mm -hmm. Is agreeing to voter ID one of those compromises that you'd support? I don't think that we should underestimate what that could mean. Because in some people's mind, that means, well, you're going to have to um, Xerox or, or, or photocopy your ID to send it in to prove you are who you are. Well, there are a whole lot of people, especially people who live in rural communities, who don't. There's no Kinkos. There's no Office Max near them. People have to understand that when we're talking about voter ID laws, be clear about who you have in mind and what would be required of them to prove who they are. Right. They don't have that technology. They they live in the 18th century, maybe the 17th. They They have to take their horse and buggy a couple of days to get to the voting place where they, you know, paw the dirt with their foot to indicate who they're going to vote for. Uh-huh. Uh. So that's sort of what we're talking about uh, and what the professors were talking about in a very, very interesting conversation. If you didn't catch it, I'll, I'll tweet it this morning. It's yeah. worth checking out. It's worth listening to. It's worth that picking up their sucks. book. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so insulting. Um, if you think that's insulting, then worse? you haven't heard anything yet. There is a competing book about rural voters since they provide the foundation of Trump support. And since they're a, a, a little bit of an incremental increase in their turnout in rural counties and swing states like Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is not in play for Democrats. I mean, it really is. Um, you move uh that turnout in some of those rural counties, I mean, actually, in aggregate in the rural counties in Wisconsin, up a couple of points. It's what it's not uh, uh, dissimilar to what we talk about in Illinois. If you get south of I-80, if you get X percentage of the vote, a couple points, and all of a sudden 
Illinois is potentially in play, or at least it was once upon a time. But again, if you thought that sort of absurd, embarrassing, patronizing attitude from Kamala Harris was insulting, oh man. This competing book, the uh, main professor's book, is called The Rural Voter. There's another book. This is a book that was um, apparently written by a uh, American prospect, Amazon Post columnist named Paul Waldman, and the University of Maryland professor named Tom Schaller. And that book is called White Rural Rage. Oh, and uh, they were on Morning Joe to talk about white rural rage and how rural voters are a threat to democracy because. Rural voters, they are a malignancy. They are a malevolent force in America. I mean, this is really a screed here. This is Professor Tom Schaller from University of Maryland talking to Mika about their book. Why are white rural voters a threat to democracy at this point? You would think, as we pointed out, looking at Joe Biden's background and Donald Trump's, that that the opposite would be true. I mean, we lay out the fourfold interconnected threat that white rural voters pose to the country. First of all, and we show 30 polls and national studies to demonstrate this. We provide the receipts in Chapter 6. They're the most racist, xenophobic, anti-immigrant, anti-gay geodemographic group in the country. Second, they're the most conspiracist group. QAnon support and subscribers, election denialism, COVID denialism and scientific skepticism, Obama birtherism. Third, anti-democratic sentiments. They don't believe in an independent press, free speech. They're most likely to say the president should be able to act unilaterally without any checks from Congress or the courts or the bureaucracy. They're also the most strongly white nationalist and white Christian nationalist. And fourth, they are most likely to excuse or justify violence as an acceptable alternative to peaceful public discourse. Round up the farmers, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Uh, if there are any honky rural voters out there that would like to uh, offer apologies, we're here, to, we're here to listen and pass on your contrition to uh, Professor Schaller and columnist Waldman. I don't know, Dan, if they have a phone to call on. Well, that's true. They or don't if you have... want to text us, I don't know if they know how to text. Cause maybe it, maybe if they go down to the Kinko's. I don't have a Kinko's in my neighborhood either, by the way. Well, no, what is a Kinko? I mean, I, exactly, right? Does anybody anymore? I don't know. Uh, anyway, um, yes, uh, so, I, I mean, that is quite a... Ra- so, you're, uh, the white rural voter is a racist, a xenophobe, a conspiracy theorist, uh, illiberal, authoritarian impulses, uh, and uh, prone to violence. Well, but, hey, uh, but other than that, um, you know. That farmer feeds you, so I'd shut up. There's no respect for farmers. Well, My it's God. A, obviously, it's not just farmers because well, rural voters rural are voters, not just farmers. But but, um, but if you don't live in a big city, if you're not cool like them, then you're a racist. You're remember, a MAGA. I mean, do you yeah. think they're getting scared right now or what? Remember when it after 2016, it was how thick is your bubble and we need to understand what's going out uh, there uh, in exurban and rural areas. And so we're going to do these fact finding missions and be very considered and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's all by the boards. Um, you, Trump voters are insurrectionists. Rural voters are sort of the alpha insurrectionists and they all need to be properly tagged and captured. 
because they're a threat to democracy. Oh, that's right. That's the na- that's the basis of the book. Yeah. So ignore the 10,000 surveys that uh, those main professors did and the conclusions they drew. Uh, ignore what you know to be true by, you know, just existing in the world. Um, this is, as I said, this is an army of authoritarian honkies that uh, want to exact their view of how society should be organized through violence. Is there a lot of evidence for that? What are, what are the rates of violence in rural communities as opposed to urban? But I digress. I digress. Gosh, it's it's really interesting to listen to a, a professor, no less. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. University of Maryland professor. Um offer that uh, litany of ad hominem and then, you know, his ilk cast themselves as opposed to othering. <laughs> Let's not other people except the others that we don't like. Very compelling. Uh, boy. Uh, John in Florence, Wisconsin. Tell us about white rural rage in Florence, Wisconsin. Yeah, so What? That's what I got to say. Who, um, after Pauline uh, Gay and the plagiarism Bloody, mm-hmm. and all the nonsense that's uh, been pushed off uh, by the people with the uh, educations, um, you know, I'm, I'm not anti any anybody or anything. Um, the fact that I can walk out with a long gun and shoot off my front porch just means that I, I hit what I aim at. And that I want to be left alone. I used to live down in uh, unincorporated Cook County, um, Tinley Park, Oak Forest, uh, 175th and Cicero, right in there. Too fast paced. Highway for the folks. Yeah. Too fast paced for you. you Well, you know, when when you're getting shaken down by the Cook County people or the Oak Forest Fire Department or the Cook County sheriffs and came up here. Because they were having the the sex scandals with kids in the um, uh, the rich uh, places down there destroying homes, you know I got five kids came to get away from the nonsense and now the nonsense is trying to follow us. And as far as the academics and the um, the, the people in power, if they haven't proved, you know Lex Friedman and Tucker just did three hours extended. Say what you want about any of them, you know there there is. There is no, um, there's no morality anymore coming out of the cities. It's you know I hate to go cliche, decline and fall of the Roman Empire. If you can't see that the the country is in a crisis right now, then you don't know the difference between uh, cow and horse. Oh, there they go. Yeah, we say cow dung and horse dung on radio that is FCC regulated. Of course, uh, Grant in Rockford. Thanks for the call, John. Good morning. Good morning, you guys. That guy hit the nail on the head. I, I might, it may say Grant in Rockford, but I'm I'm out in the sticks on 50 acres with cows and horses and chickens. And is there a Kinkos uh, nearby no, by any chance? Do you know how to use we a counting machine? Well, you know, believe it or not, I, it's it's. I I think I could stumble my way through it, but you know. Those smug SOBs, we're the only things keeping them safe. There's a gun in every corner of the room of every house out here. You think China doesn't know that? And I just, I would love to see a wall go up around the cities in three days. They'd be eating themselves. Have a good day. Right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Angry. 
Candace in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin. You know, this white talk has been going on for a long time, and I, I haven't heard enough conservatives on AM radio really talking about it. And um, and I think that's strange um, and where it's actually coming from. But to me, we're not an outpost of uh, what, the, what the guy said. Um, we're a Bolshevik outpost, which is about to go broke. And uh, so, <laughs> so that's why you're hearing all this balkanization all of a sudden and this importation of whatever their uh, army is going to be against us because we are a liability because they owe us money. Um, it's called Social Security and all that, and they want to get rid of their liabilities. But my other point being— Well, you're a, pol- you're a political liability before you're a financial one. Uh, that's, the, th- yes. that's the real okay. problem. Let's just be honest, okay? Now, Wisconsin's not rural enough for me, and, I, and I, now I work in a very small town. It's a farm town, and I love it, and I hear all the talk every day. And now I'm going where I'm going into the hills. I mean, in the hills. Okay. No, I'm not kidding. Okay. All right. I want to be around those people when the stuff comes down. Okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they don't care. And they don't care. And if something happens, I don't know what's going to happen if somebody comes on their land. But I have an, I have an opinion. But All right. The hills not- have eyes um, uh, north of Pleasant. Yeah. Great, Thanks for the call, Candace. Great, great text message. Dan and Amy, perhaps... Farmers of all colors should go on strike like the teachers do so the city folk can get some perspective on who needs who more. Well, yeah, it's like the trucker convoys and stuff, too. I mean, the, you know, among the uh, the ranks of truckers and uh, other people who are sort of mission critical in, uh, in the supply chain for all sorts of goods, um, I, I assume there's probably a good number of those white rural voters that are raging according to uh waldman and schaller and msnbc Hmm. but uh, you know the the best way you know the best revenge like trump says uh my revenge is going to be success Mm -hmm. uh the revenge for the white rural voter for this kind of um, attitude and smearing that you just heard uh is to turn out it's yep. to turn out in, in maximum numbers in places like Wisconsin that matter. Do not sit home. Do not sit this a, one out. A couple of points puts Wisconsin in the win column. Uh, that's what the communication should be among uh, you know, folks in those communities. Make, you know, be your brother's keeper to, and make sure your brother gets to the polls or votes early. Banks says vote early. Even better. Uh, Carl in District 12, whatever District 12 is. Carl. Uh, I live up in rural Wisconsin, District 12 with the Hunger Games. Okay. I, I just called after I walked over to my Amish neighbors to uh, call you and tell you that I, I, I do vote, and you can bet your sweet patuta. I'll be marking that uh, hardcore Republican ballot with uh, my uh, vote. And, and I. Bring the, Am- bring I the Amish the with you. My radio. I'm yeah. gonna. Thanks for the call, Carl. Uh, Greg in uh, Jefferson Park. Hey, good morning, guys. You know, a couple things. One, uh, number one. Hey, if uh, the rural voters ever fed up with this, number one, they should vote just like you say. You know, get out in numbers. Everybody should vote. But uh, number two, do like the uh, the truckers or New York are doing. Just plow those fields into nothing. 
Don't give anybody any soybeans, corn, wheat, or anything else. And see how the big, big city folks like it when, uh, you know, five pounds of uh, flour cost uh, $50. It won't, uh, it won't go over too well. Well, a good one. go full Ray Kinsella, put up a baseball field, get Joe Jackson to come out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the cornfield. Um, so Dan forth. and Amy, the rural voter national anthem should be try that in a small town. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. Andrew Champagne. Hey, Dan and Amy, good morning. Um, so I just wanted to kind of point out the obvious here. And, you know, the guy that brought up the uh, the polls, you know, I'm sure he's the same kind of guy that says there's a genocide against the, the trans community because they don't allow kids to transition. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's absolutely hilarious. And, and, and just a second quick point, too. I, I, I live in, in central Illinois. I actually work for a company where we maintain all the grain elevators um, down here. And, and I work with people who are from, you know, white, Hispanic, uh, African-American, you know, every race. And it's amazing how these people feel completely comfortable working with all these farmers and all of us you know, very supposedly violent and terrible people. I mean, it's, it's, it's just hilarious to listen to. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, thanks for the call, Andrew. I mean, that's why I said, you know, that listen to what uh, the the good professor has to say <clears throat> and then bump that up against your lived experience. I mean, that this is, this is the whole point. I mean, that they, this is, this is what identitarianism is about is trying to pit people against one another based on identity what did Thomas Sowell say in that uh, interview with Peter Robinson a couple months ago on the occasion of his latest book? I mean, I just, I just love this line, which is why I repeat it all the time. Peter Robinson asked Thomas Sowell, simple question. If the identitarians had, get everything they want, if they get everything they want from a policy perspective, what would be happening in America right now? And Thomas Sowell said, we'd be killing each other. And, uh, and, if, and some of them certainly know that. And the ones that don't, that's hardly a defense. And we are somewhat killing each other, but uh, not on the scale that Sol's talking about if they got everything they want. So just understand their end game, whether uh, they are intentional, whether some are intentional about it and others are not, maybe just ignorant, you know, useful idiots. Of course, there's always those. If they get everything they want, what would be happening? We'd be killing each other. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, some concerning numbers on the inflation front. Uh, Supercore inflation soared in January. Service costs reaccelerating. In January, uh, the only thing that the Fed cares about in terms of rate setting, as I understand it from our friends who are experts like, like Jim Perry, is the Supercore inflation number. In January, that number was uh, rose by 6%. It's the highest number since December of 2021 and the third highest report in the last five years. In December, it was 2.8%. This is, um, uh, excludes food, energy, and shelter, all of which are also rising, but it excludes that and it's still running at 6%. The pre-pandemic average was 2%. Supercore inflation at 6% now. Pre-pandemic, the average was 2%. Even... During the pandemic, 
when you started to print and distribute the funny money, they uh, averaged about 4%. So now it's 50% higher than it was when the printing presses were running and checks were being distributed during the lockdowns. Uh, So um, as um, I read from Jim Perry in his newsletter, this is his language, Perry Capital remains hawkish on inflation. Portfolio risks are skewed toward higher interest rates and lower equity market valuation valuations, and no Fed cuts in 2024. Well, if that's what uh, the street comes to believe, that you won't see interest rate cuts in 2024, then that certainly may be the one thing that can negatively impact uh, the equity markets. I don't know what that will mean for Bitcoin. Um as uh, Bitcoin sort of to over 60,000. Uh, we want to talk to Scott the Cow Guy about that too because uh, that is a... Um, you invested in interest, Bitcoin? That's an interesting d- dynamic. I mean, what the, if is, is Bitcoin becoming sort of the, the like the equity markets? You can't fight City Hall. You can't fight the Fed. I'm not sure. Um, but, I mean, just on the, uh, the inflation piece, um, again, this is a, a real fundamental problem for the political ruling class, starting with the hillbilly family from Wilmington, Delaware, and the president, the big guy, because you can say one thing and you can talk low unemployment numbers and you can talk where the equity markets are. And the the problem is you can't talk to people who are getting hammered at the pump and at the grocery store and with their energy bills at home and with the services they need and so on and so forth. And that, that seems to be with that super core inflation number is indicating, uh, Amy, I, I know you have your goldfish and and Count Chocula tests to figure out where inflation is as it pertains to you. Well, it's awful. I mean, it it's not getting better anytime soon. I don't know if anybody's noticed that gas prices are going through the roof once again, too. So in Chicago now, we're creeping to 450. Uh, I drove one by one place yesterday. I was near uh, Roosevelt and Dan Ryan, and it was almost $5. So there's not gonna there's not gonna be relief anytime soon, and of course yes, cereal. I do you know what I do on the weekends, Dan? When I go to Indiana, I go to the Walmart and I buy cereal for Quinn and his family because that so, same so box can, of so I'm they not, can have dinner. Yeah, so they can have dinner because it's what's you know it's what's for dinner. Cereal's what's for dinner. Yeah, yeah exactly. In the Biden economy, right? Yeah, no, but um, and Steve Moore laughed at that, but that really happened. I mean, the CEO of Kellogg said if you're struggling financially. Take a box of cereal, but the boxes of cereal that he's talking about in Chicago, that box of Crispix would be eleven ninety nine. When I bought it at the Walmart in Hammond, Indiana, for Quinn and his family, it was three ninety nine. Next time that's you a go, big, uh, I swear to God, that's oh, I came back with honeycomb. I came back yeah. with Crispix. Oh. What else did I get? Oh, all the healthy uh, options. <laughs> uh, fruity Pebbles. Did you get any Fruity no, Pebbles? What, oh my God, Justin. What did Justin? What was the other thing I gave him? It was honeycomb, Mega Box, Crispix, family size. And the third one. Oh, Apple Jacks. Apple Jacks, yes. The healthy one, because you want your apples. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> those are, those are all healthy sugar. choices. Oh, my goodness. But that whole thing costs $10 for those three big boxes, and one box in the city is almost $12. So I don't know how people do it. I mean, people, because I go to the grocery store all the time, and people do gasp they go, <gasps> when they look at things, at the prices. So... Our our America is not any better under Biden, and that's what I think of every time when I think about Trump, how a life was easier. I had more money in the bank account, more money in the checking account, in the savings account, and with Biden's America, it's not good. 
Well, it also speaks to this idea, you know, there's uh, all sorts of theories surrounding the election about what's going to happen. We've talked about many of them, including this one, which is that Jay Powell singing for his supper, wanting to keep his job, mm-hmm. will cut rates closer to the election to uh, provide a little bit of of a boomlet in the equity markets to buoy the electoral chances of of right. President Biden. But then if Biden wins, what's going to happen? Well, well, pull pull that back for a second. Okay. But the point is to say if inflation is running this hot, you know, suits again, super core at 6%, that becomes a little bit more complicated. And it perhaps it doesn't have the desired effect of enhancing Biden's electoral chances, but it really speaks to the issue that look, um this is Probably something very similar to what we're experiencing in March is what people will be feeling, you know, as the calendar turns toward November in in eight months. And um, it's just hard to think that there'll be such a reversal of fortune that people will feel much better about being able to keep up with the prices of things when their wages aren't keeping up with the increase. You know, the the, 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 the the wage bumps that they've received in many, many cases are not keeping up with the cost of living. And people feel it, and it's reflected in the surveys that say, I don't think the country's on the right track. I don't think that uh, I'm, I'm less economically secure than I was pre-Biden. It's the, you know, are you better off than you were four years ago? And a majority of Americans right now are saying no. And uh, that inflation number says they're probably likely to continue saying no right through November. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. Dan and Amy, we uh, talked a bit about uh, what's happening in Boston earlier in the program. Fort Point, Tony neighborhood in Boston. The uh, rich honkies, rich leftist honkies, they're a little upset that a migrant shelter is going to be located in their neighborhood, and they didn't have much to say about it. Yeah. Uh, in New York, Eric Adams is is coming off of Sanctuary City a bit. We need to be able to turn people who commit crimes over to ICE. Oh, whoa. Ooh, you know, pump the brakes there, fella. In Seattle, it's going the opposite way. Oh, I sort guess. of. Sort of. Very interesting. This is a crazy story, yes. Um, people in this country illegally are organizing with uh, some of the Pearl Jam fans in Seattle that uh, believe in open borders to demand that the city council, that the city, continue to pay for their housing. So, that, you know, they're petitioning their government because, you know, what's the difference between a citizen and a non-citizen? Seattle City Council disrupted as asylum seekers and their supporters once again pleaded for support. Council President Sarah Nelson saying there are limited resources here. I don't really want to participate in in the, a conversation that should be had with uh, county leaders, state leaders, federal leaders. Council ultimately took a break from the meeting in the middle of chants from protesters yelling on behalf of the refugees. At one point, Councilmember Kathy Moore requested that SPD take action. I request that we have police response. Uh, police our response physical safety is being threatened by the actions Boy. of the demonstrators outside banging on the windows. Eventually, arrests were made. It's the second time in two months that the group from Latin America has called upon Seattle leaders to fund their temporary housing. 
Refugees have been living in different area hotels, most recently this one in Kent. That stay was funded by Seattle taxpayers. Hennessy's from Venezuela said she knows this protest wasn't the most correct thing to do, but they've got kids. They feel pressured to act for them. Oh, boy. There's uh, so many layers to this. I mean, this is Seattle. This is the home of the autonomous zone. Right. I thought police were bad. Now they're asking for the police to help. help. Mm. Yeah, our secure right. I mean, this is the defund the police Seattle City Council. This is the summer of love, former Mayor Jenny Durkin, Seattle. What happened to the love? What happened to defunding the police? What happened to being a welcoming city? What happening? What happened to financing our newcomers? Now we're talking about I, I don't feel safe. Police, please remove these people and their resources are finite. What is all this Trumpian talk emanating from the Seattle City Council? I'm offended. Well, how dare they? I'm telling you, here in Chicago, our migrants, our new neighbors, our illegals are not happy. Uh, they don't like the food. There were 248 grievances lodged by illegals that are staying in more than our two dozen city-run shelters. Um, they say that some of the staff members are making racist remarks, Dan. Uh, one lady was complaining because she couldn't get milk at 11 o'clock at night to feed to her kid. And they said there's a lack of cleanliness. The place is too dirty for them. So well, that doesn't sound like an operation run by BLM Brandon to me. No. The gimme that shelters? The gimme that they're shelters? Not, they're, they're, they don't have the good housekeeping seal? I'm shocked. Well, you know what? Guess what? Almost as shocked as I am for the city council, uh, you know, enlisting police to keep order. Uh-oh. Where did this notion come from? Uh, Crazy well, times. Uh, if it's yeah. dirty, clean it yourself. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer. On AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, yesterday, the uh, competing visits to the border by the two presidents, the former and the current. The current, that would be Joe Biden after uh, milling about and reading some questions off note cards, he uh, offered his prepared remarks in which he did not, did not issue any new executive orders or suggest he would, you know, to undo what they undid. Again, Homeland Security uh, Secretary Ali Mayorkas in September of 2021, when they were beating their chests about undoing everything that Trump did with respect to immigration. And I'd like to understand from you what Trump era immigration policies have been banned, ended, reversed, and if any investigations are underway by you. Uh, So we have rescinded so many uh, Trump immigration policies. It would take so much time to list them. No need. We are living them. We know. Yeah. And so for those saying, why doesn't he do the things within his power? He has done the things within his power that he wants to do. They're already done. They were done a couple of years ago. 
Didn't you just hear from Ali Mayorkas? He doesn't want you to he doesn't want to do with his executive power what you want him to do. Is that coming across now? Because yesterday he didn't talk about executive power. He talked about uh, Red Rover, Red Rovering Trump over so that they could work together to pass legislation that has zero interest among House Republicans and most Senate Republicans. Yeah, but they blame Trump for that, too. Here's well, of course, but this is this is their He's posture. The, po- the Lake and Riley, it's a terrible thing. The gruesome murder of Lake and Riley, but it's congressional Republicans' fault because they've done the work. They have this bipartisan group that wants to have a more orderly importation of people into this country illegally. Oh, and then also, you know, sixty billion to Ukraine and so on and so forth. But and uh, so we just need to get behind that bipartisan bill. We need to act. It's time for the speakers and some of my Republican friends in Congress who are blocking this bill to show a little spine. Pass a bipartisan board. Bipartisan. Remember, bipartisan. Conservative leaders supported this. Border security bill. Let's remember who we work for, for God's sake. We work for the American people. Let me end with this. I understand my predecessor's legal pass today. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with this issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me, or I'll join you in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. You know and I know it's the toughest, most efficient, most effective border security bill this country has ever seen. So instead of playing politics with the issue, why don't we just get together and get it done? Let's remember who the heck we work for. We work for the American people, not the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. We work for the American people. You know, that Red Blue America rap worked once for Barack Obama at a convention about uh, 18 years ago. And uh, when they're really in trouble, that's what they go to. But it just doesn't have the same currency it did. You know what I mean? A little stale. Uh, 20 years ago, I guess it was. Um, Yeah, it just doesn't work anymore. And um, by the way, here's the funny thing about being so collaborative or posturing as such. You know, it'd be perhaps a little bit more persuasive if you were collaborative within your own administration. You know, for example, your Border Patrol chief for uh, two of the last three years, Raul Ortiz, Border Patrol chief for the Biden administration, 2021 to 2023. The only way you're going to actually hear firsthand is by talking to those Border Patrol officials, by meeting with the chief of the Border Patrol. I've made it perfectly clear when I was the chief, I never once met with the president or the vice president. And I think it's long overdue that they sit down and roll up their sleeves and start coming up with some solutions. Mm -hmm. Right. But you're serious. You're working for the American people. But you have nothing to say and no interest in hearing what the people on the front lines have to say it's odd. Brandon Judd, the union head for the Border Patrol. President Biden going to Brownsville. Did the Border Patrol union ever get any outreach or invitation from the White House about that visit? Not at all. And I didn't expect it. He's not going to listen to voices of reason. He's not going to listen to people that are going to tell him what he actually needs to secure the border, the programs, the operations, the policies. He doesn't want to hear any of that. And if he would have invited me, that's exactly what I would have said. I mean, the one union boss he doesn't want to hear from. Well, there's a, like the vice president of the Border Patrol Union, Chris Cabrera. He was on NBC News saying, you know, the Border Patrol, we all think that Biden should not have reversed Trump's border policies. 
Yeah. They were, he, he even said they were effective for us as Border Patrol agents in securing this country. Which is why he doesn't, which is why there's no invite, as Brandon Judd said. He doesn't want to hear from him. For more on this, uh, please be joined by Brett Baer, host of Fox News Special Report, 5 p.m. Chicago time, weekdays, of course. Best-selling author of To Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment. And The History Club, Duel Across Time, which is a graphic novel. Brett, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Morning. So the White House thinks that uh, this, uh, you know, Republicans are being obstructionist rap is going to work. This is the best they can come up with. They're, they're going to stick with it. It is definitely the thing that they can come up with, uh, and it you know for some on some cable channels uh, they can grasp onto it and and run with it. The problem is there are other facts as you guys were laying out uh, the ninety four executive orders that were overturned uh, January twenty first, twenty twenty one, and. You know, there's just a lot that can be done in a snap of a finger, you know, using a pen and a phone like uh, President Obama Mm -hmm. once said. Uh, I also think, you know, you would not – it's kind of disingenuous to say that you're really concerned about the border when you're in federal court trying to prevent – trying to cut the wires, the barbed wires that uh, Governor Abbott is setting up on the Texas border. Um, You're in court to try to – open that up. And if you're saying that, you know, right. you're trying to secure the border, why not assist Governor Abbott in that effort? Um, now they're in court, Texas is, to try to uh, have control of their own border, essentially, and say, we'll pay for everything. We'll hire all the people. We will just take care of it as a state. And we'll see where that um, lawsuit goes. Well, they're even going to build a military base there near Eagle Pass to house 1,800 or up to 1,800 National Guardsmen. Yeah, and there's, you know, pushback from the federal government of the control of the border is a federal a federal issue. But uh, it's gotten so bad that they have to do something. Well, and high-profile, uh, terrible crimes of a high-profile nature, uh, murders, the rapes of young women, I mean, just in the three cops in D.C. shot by a Jamaican uh, immigrant who's here illegally, I mean, um, that stuff resonates, not to mention the migrant shelters that are going up in Tony neighborhoods in Boston and New York and Chicago. That resonates, too. Resonates so much that Eric Adams in New York is starting to say, you know, uh, we need to be able to turn people who commit crimes in New York and are in this country illegally over to ICE, which is, you know, it's it's a modest turn, but it's a it's a distinct one nonetheless so they've got they've got problems sort of inside their party inside the uh, base camp for the democrats which is the big cities um and you know and the suburbs too when you see that sort of criminal activity that is uh, and and the backstory is many interactions with law enforcement this could have been prevented uh and we didn't do it um that that that's just it's just you just can't spin your way out of that by talking about inside the beltway politics you're right and it is affecting blue states and blue cities and sanctuary cities who don't want to be sanctuary cities anymore um it is a real issue that has has now driven to the top of issues that people care about for this election and it's pretty stunning if you think about this issue we thought it was going to make a big difference in 2022 it it didn't it was kind of overshadowed by abortion and threat to democracy 
Uh, but I think this election is going to be the immigration election, and uh, it's it's shaping up to be that way. Now, on the flip side, I will say, you know, legislating, you could have gone back and forth and said, I need this to be out of here and that to be out of here and kept on going and try to get a bipartisan bill. Um, clearly, Republicans, and including the former president, want to use this issue politically. So there is some criticism on the other side. We're always one election away from, you know, solving the big problems. Um, and so that's what the Democrats are going to hold on to. And there's some element of, you know, truth to that. Yeah, but of course, then uh, Republicans and Speaker Johnson come back and say, look, uh, we passed H.R. 2. That, that contains what we want to happen. That contains what would uh, secure the border, at least in the short term. And then we can have this longer, more complicated conversation about uh, what immigration policy should look like in the United States and do some of that horse trading that you're talking about. I think if that's the response, then I think it sort of you know returns the volley back to the Biden administration. Yeah, and you've got Senator Fetterman coming out saying yeah. I'm for HR two. Yeah, I mean right. this guy is the most evolved. <laughs> I know, you know where he was to where he is on both the Israel issue and Gaza, and on the immigration issue. I mean he is becoming, you know, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema esque. So uh, yeah. when, when Biden has this uh, state of the state uh, this month, because it's already March 1st now. State um, of the Union. State of the Union, excuse me. Do you think that he's going to come out and reverse some of these border policies, executive orders, before and then make the big announcement during the State of the Union? It's possible. I mean, I thought he was going to do it on the border, but mm-hmm. he would be smart to. He would be smart to because that, that is uh, a political albatross around his neck. Uh, it is really, really bad. It's as bad as the age issue, which is really, really bad. Yeah, he looked awful yesterday. The um, but but on the flip side, let's talk about uh, potential albatrosses around Trump's neck. Um, the trials. So um, Fulton County is a complete catastrophe for them, and I don't see how Fonnie Willis survives to go on and prosecute that case. Although I'd like her to. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Um, I, I hope she does because she's so crippled herself. But um, the uh, Supreme Court taking up, much anticipated, but taking up the immunity claim on and the J6 issue probably pushes that off past November. But you've got Manhattan going March 25th. And now the uh, classified docs case, Jack Smith is proposing a new trial date of July 8th. And, and uh, the Trump legal team has countered with August 12th. Probably, especially if it's August, you can through the um, pretrial proceedings, get that past November. Um, but the the prospect of Manhattan and possibly, possibly the classified docs case, I mean, these, these are still real wild cards in my estimation in terms of how the public will react if Trump is convicted, no matter how much attention has been uh, drawn to them uh, pretrial. And they just that the, the the mentality, the convicted felon and the advertising of we can't have a convicted felon in the White House if that should come to pass. It seems I don't think that Trump is getting out ahead of that enough, especially knowing that Manhattan it will be settled uh, in this spring. It looks like what, what, what's your view on that? What's your handle and Republic? What are Republicans chirping about inside the Beltway? I think it's a concern, clearly, uh, for Republicans, and it's a concern for all the down-ticket races, too. Um, 
And but but they look at Manhattan as the flimsiest of the cases, the most apt for appeal, mm-hmm. the most uh, easily talked about as this was totally unfair. Um, they look at the Docs case as something that is going to take a while. You know, even if you get to July 8th for the trial, you you have so many issues on classification for the lawyers to get to yeah. um, a level of clearance that uh, it's just going to take a long time uh, for all of that to happen. I, I think that that's the most um, – that's that's the biggest threat, Uh Personally, I think that the Docs case getting done before uh, before the election could be the biggest threat to him. But he has effectively said this whole bunch of cases, everything from the civil to the criminal to the January 6th to the Docs, is an effort uh, to take him down politically. And it's easy to connect those dots for somebody looking at it big picture. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening at the same time, all trying to speed up before the election, which is pretty telling. Well, right. And the other thing, too, that we're um, seeing, in, in, particularly with respect to Fulton County, is um, a pretty strong circumstantial case, or at least it's coming into focus, that there was some Trump White, uh, excuse me, Biden White House involvement with the Fulton County State's Attorney's Office in cooking up that case. Which, if that comes to pass in not just what it is now, circumstantial, and if it becomes hard evidence, um, that's a, a dagger for not only that, but probably for a number of other cases. He is Brett Baer, host of Fox News Special Report, weekdays 5 p.m., best-selling author of To Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment, and The History Club, Duel Across Time, which is a graphic novel. Brett, thank you as always. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Dan and Amy, uh, Kamala Harris, she's the uh, vice president, don't you know? Uh, She had some happy news this week about what the Biden administration is going to do to put a few dollars in the pockets of college kids and also... You know, make sure we get full civic participation come November. We have been doing work to promote voter participation for students. And, for example, we have, um, under the Federal Work Study Program, now allow students to get paid through Federal Work Study to register people um, and to be nonpartisan poll oh. workers. As we know, this is important for a number of reasons. One, to engage our young leaders in this process and, and activate them in terms of their ability to, to strengthen our communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That activate them to strengthen our communities. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Hey, um, hey, a good place to start the voter registration campaign is that migrant shelter right across town over Here's there. Here's 100 bucks and we'll give you 10 bucks for each one you register to vote. Uh, remember what uh, New York Congresswoman Yvette Clark had to say yeah. about uh, migrants. And from Brooklyn, New York, we have a diaspora that, that can absorb 
a significant number of these migrants. And I, that, I, you know, when I hear uh, colleagues talk about, uh, you know, the, 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 the doors of the inn being closed, um, no room in the inn, I, I'm saying, you know, I, I need more people in my district, but just for redistricting purposes. And those members could, could clearly uh, fit here. Exactly. Uh, so locate them in my district and register them to vote. Um, I, th- I think some they've got plans for some other districts too, some other states. And yeah, yeah and enlist the college kids we lost to their it, country to strengthen, activate them to strengthen our communities. That's what it is. Sure. Nonpartisan. I love that too. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's morning answer. On AM 560, the answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM 560, the answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, Secretary of Defense General Lloyd Austin whistled before a House committee to uh, explain himself. Despite the fact that the Pentagon has given itself a clean bill of health, even though Lloyd Austin admitted that he was wrong in not disclosing his medical condition and not notifying staff and not notifying the president when he went under the knife and was incapacitated so that uh, there was knowledge as to who was in charge at the Pentagon. It, the, the, admitting that was wrong, and yet the Pentagon gets a clean bill of health. Nobody did anything wrong. Okay. I mean, even though you know, we're in the middle, of, well, not in the middle, but we're funding two major conflicts in the world right now. It's just so, another example of how this Biden administration is a complete failure. Well, so I, you know, I would, I was gonna, I would, I was sort of willing to let it go oh, I for this reason because you know I, I understand uh, being um, reluctant to disclose personal things about your health, right? You know, we we have the HIPAA laws, and they're probably a little bit too um, aggressive, but. Regardless, the idea of, you know, health privacy, I respect that. I get it. I get the, I get the disposition. I don't want to talk about my health condition. I don't want to. I, I get it. He's I don't... cancer. And they kept passing it off as some elective surgery. It was complications from his prostate from a I, I, I know what it was. I know, but and he's he's a public figure. He's the def- secretary of defense. I, 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 I know. I know he's privacy that normal I, people have. I know he's the secretary of defense. I know. No, I'm just my, saying. My point is to say he's, he's still a human being. And I can appreciate that, you know, he and he's a prideful man. I mean, he's a general, he's, you know, but so I, I can appreciate not, you know, don't get in my business. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. I'm taking care of it. I, I can understand that. I'm not saying what he did was right, but I can understand it. I can appreciate it. I can say, you know, there needs to be a little bit more accountability than just an acknowledgement that you were wrong because it's obvious you were wrong. Everybody knows you were wrong. You know you were wrong. So there needs to be some punishment associated with being wrong at that level. That's not happening. But I can get I, I would let it go at that. But I won't with respect to Austin because of a comparison that uh, I had thought about, but Matt Gates voiced during that committee hearing. What he wants from the political establishment and the American people, but he won't give to the service members that he dismissed. I think this is this is a nice juxtaposition about the different rules for 
the shot callers versus the the white polloi, including in the military. You didn't tell the president that you had cancer, that you were being treated for cancer, or that the treatment for that cancer had gone wrong because you saw it as personal and medical. And I think a lot of us have empathy for you in that regard. But now that you see how personal medical decisions are, will you call for the re-recruitment, restoration of full rank and back pay for the 8,600 service members who were vax mandated out of the military? Uh, No, I won't. So on March 4th, 2021, you authored a memo. It was entitled Message to the Force. And in that memo, you said that there would be clear and swift accountability for anyone who didn't meet the highest standards of the Department of Defense. Now, however this worked out, we all acknowledge that what you did here didn't meet the highest standards, right? You made a mistake. I I admit it to you. Yeah, okay, so we got that. So then the question is, what becomes the the clear and swift accountability? Now, you're not going to be discharged, right? No? That's right. Okay, you're you're not going to be suspended. You're not going to be demoted, and you're not going to have your pay cut. None of those things are going to happen to you, right? That's right. Okay. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Gates continued to press the comparison. Mr. Secretary, you come to us seeking forgiveness, but you offer none. And it seems as though the pattern is repeated. You make a mistake, like on the VAX mandate and here regarding your notification, then you get busted. President Biden had to sign something into law reversing your your VAX mandate. You got busted here, not because you came forward, but because we learned of this through other means. And then after you get busted making a mistake, you know you want you want that benefit, but you don't want to extend it to others. Um, this isn't swift or clear. You're not meeting your own standards that you set for yourself. And you say that the DOD is a learning organization. Haven't you learned yet that the military is weaker, not stronger, with the 8,600 people that you vax mandated out of the military? How do you like that? Uh, I love it. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. This is why you can't uh, just walk away from COVID and allow those who were the shot callers to revise history. Another good example. The standards that are set and who has to abide them. The grace that is sought when somebody makes a mistake like Lloyd Austin did. But the grace that won't be offered by those same people. I mean, he cost our military dearly with his COVID actions. So did the Biden administration. Uh, and it was, you know, it was essentially the, the courts intervening to require that rescission. But, right, Lloyd Austin won't do it. We won't give it because it, it was a command order and they violated the order. Well, they didn't violate the order because they were being um, disrespectful. They sought religious exemptions that you wouldn't grant. Yeah. He deserves no more clemency than he gave out to the service members he forced out of the military. He's unfit to lead. I mean, I that the mistake that he made, you know, he came out even before he testified yesterday. He came out, what, a month ago and 
was begging for forgiveness and trying to explain himself as a black man with prostate cancer. You know, he threw in race on that because he said, you know, what I think eight and I don't know that the number's higher for African American males to have prostate cancer than a white man. And well, what does that have to do with any disclosure? It has nothing to do with it. But the point the point is to say again, uh, just like just like Gates said, willing to you know personal, private. I get the disposition. You don't want to talk about it uh, to too many people. Totally understand that. Respect that. But then you won't off. You won't pay that forward. You won't pay that forward because you don't have to. And that's the imperious attitude of the ruling class in D.C. and in Illinois and in Chicago and in every big city in the country uh, and of the left in general. Wherever you'll find the left in charge, you're going to find the attitude exhibited by Lloyd Austin. And no wonder our military has fallen with recruitment. Yeah, but, but, but no wonder there is a revolt that is still bubbling just below the surface. Maybe not just below the surface, too. I mean, it's just, you know, at a certain point, the high court in Canada rules that what Justin Trudeau did was a violation of the freedom truckers rights there with going after bank, freezing bank accounts and the like. That was a violation. And so who pays a penalty? Justin Trudeau? Those uh, Canadian legislators who went along with it? No. So where's the where's the making whole the victim of a wrong-headed, illegal official act? Mm-mm. Nope. People are sick of it, and they should be. And I'm sick of people like Lloyd Austin, and I should be. And so should those 8,600 who got vax, vax mandated out of the military, and so should every other man and woman in the military. And under his charge at the Pentagon. Just another example. Another reason to vote for Trump. Lee in Hammond, Indiana. Yeah, you know, Dan, you stole my thunder. This is the deep state. This is what they do. And it's not just in this country. It's, it's all the Western world. And the reason they get away with it is because the media is their lapdogs. And goes right along with whatever the, local, the latest scam is. And they, no. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, yes, but no, not 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 because I mean, the media does. The media is their comp shop. Thanks for calling. No, it's because there's no accountability demanded from the people. What sort of accountability is demand? what sort of punishment do, does the electorate impose on people who behave like this? So yeah, yeah, the the media does this. It's, a, it's another institution that's uh, covering the ass of another institute. Yeah, I know. And what's the punishment? What's the punishment for John Brennan? What's the punishment for Jim Clapper? Jim Clapper lied under oath. What's the punishment for Jim Comey? Jim Comey lied under oath. Not to mention what we know from Schellenberger reporting and Taibbi. They they cooked up the whole Russian collusion, if you're to believe their reporting. I mean, if that is accurate. And if they didn't cook it up. If it wasn't all orchestrated by them from the the get-go, then it certainly was exploited by them. Uh, after it got going, despite the fact that very early on they knew there was nothing to it. Right. And then they leaked what they allegedly had to the media. And so 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 who was held accountable in the midterm elect in 2020 and then in 2022? Oh, it's the media did it. Well, 
is I mean, if if that's if that's what you want to go with, if you want to say, oh, it's just the media and there's nothing we can do about it. Well, if there's nothing we can do about it, then we're in a lot worse place than I even thought. There is something, of course, that could be done about it, but it's not being done. People aren't activating their neighbors the way they could, the way that Kamala Harris is activating with your money college students to go register. Well, you know, who knows? And, uh, you know, who knows what else is going on with respect to getting people in this country illegally on the voter rolls through other federal agencies like Homeland Security, since there's direct interaction there. And it is all over the Western world, which is why the West is faltering, which is why China sees an opportunity. What we talked about yesterday with Peter Schweitzer, the disintegration strategy, China sitting back and uh, moving a few chess pieces around and watching us do the rest to checkmate ourselves. Pierre uh, Polyev is the opposition candidate to Justin Trudeau, right? Heard from him before. He likes to eat apples while he talks to the press. He's, he's good. <laughs> he's funny, conservative, and he's sharp. Listen to this press conference he had where he revealed a cover-up yep. that is on par with what we know Fauci and Collins and uh, CDC and NIH were up to, not to mention, you know, the whole sort of beltway political establishment in running interference for their CHICOM associates in sidelining anybody with uh, uncomfortable questions or differing opinions, professional opinions. So their, their top top public health officials in Canada were in bed with the CHICOMs just like ours. Fauci lied under oath, too. But now we know that he cannot protect our people or our country. We've just received these documents that Trudeau has been covering up for years. Documents related to a massive security breach at the Trudeau government's most sensitive laboratory where the most dangerous viruses and pathogens are studied and handled. We have learned that the Trudeau government's head of pathogens was collaborating with members of Beijing's People's Liberation Army who are responsible for bioweapons and bioterrorism. We know now that uh, a People's Liberation Army official was able to gain personal access, walk in the door, look at computers, and have access to all of our most important vir- virological secrets. Let me, if you think any of this is hyperbole, read the report yourself. This is from government documents, the Trudeau government's own documents. It says here on page 142, Winni- Winnipeg lab scientist Dr. Chu is head of the special pathogens unit, the top person in that job. According to documents on page 242, quote, represents a serious and credible danger to the government of Canada as a whole, and in particular at facilities considered high security due to the potential for theft of dangerous materials attractive to terrorists and foreign entities that conduct espionage to infiltrate and damage the economic security of Canada, end quote. It states further on page 239. 
Investigators assessed that Dr. Chu communicated with foreign entities during her trips to China. The evidence obtained from interviews and from information collected from the electronic content of her devices reveal that this is indeed the case. As a subject matter expert with access to sensitive information and dangerous materials, Dr. Chu presents a realistic and credible threat to Canada's economic security when conducting repeated and clandestine meetings with foreign entities, end quote. Then it says Dr. Chu conducted joint research with the Major General Chen Wei of the People's Liberation Army, who according to page 236, is a noted top virologist at the Academy of Military Medical Scientists and is China's chief biological defense expert engaged in research related to biosafety, biodefense, and bioterrorism. Bioterrorism, end quote. And these are, def- these are do- documents, this is right out of the government's own documents. Trudeau, what did he do when he found out about this? Did he immediately inform Canadians of the breach? Did he fire anybody? No, no one was fired. Did he call an inquiry to get to the bottom of it? No, he didn't do that either. Instead, he covered it all up. He defied four parliamentary orders to release these documents. Sound familiar? I mean, the story from uh, Nicholas Wade former science editor at the New York Times. We've talked about a couple of times now, and I did a podcast, uh, my counterculture podcast with him last week. It's the same deal. It's the same deal here. There was an effort to get a DARPA grant to do experimentation with uh, novel coronaviruses that was a joint project of the Wuhan Virology Lab, that Zengali doctor, Dr. Shi Zengali, and... um, Fauci world here. And DARPA didn't didn't fund it. So the reasonable belief is that uh, the Wuhan folks went out and did it on their own. And then Fauci and Collins ran interference for them. Why? Because they're collaborators. And they don't see borders. And they don't see national interests. In the light most favorable to them, it's just about the science and we don't want anything that would disrupt the science. You know, the light most favorable to them. We don't want to do anything that would um, or have anything exposed in terms of relationships or or gain of function research done and desired that would uh, jeopardize funding and turn this into a political football so we cover each other's backsides. That's the light most favorable to them. And again, just as uh, uh, Poliev is saying about, uh, did, did, was there disclosure on that? No. No, there was, there was covering it up. There was trying to destroy the reputations of anybody who asked questions, much less openly disagreed with any of the... Uh, proposed mitigations or the characterization of what we knew or didn't know. Did anybody get fired? No. Retired with handsome pensions? Sure. Yeah. Disciplined? Any agency reforms afoot? No. Jordan in Antioch. You're in Chicago. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. You know, it just dawned on me going through this whole thing, talking about this, and then 
tying it to this BS immunity uh, case that they're trying to get Trump on. Why do I know why, but I think I have an idea why. But wouldn't it be nice to see some of these Republican state attorneys in Florida, in Georgia, in Texas, in Ohio, in in all these other states, automatically in one week dump charges of 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 malfeasance of of documentation of falsifying documents and everything else against the Democrats that are in in office right now that they have actual proof of illegality while in office bring charges against them in lieu prior to any verdict or trial that Trump goes through and point out the fact that says, hey, you know what you're doing to him up there? Guess what? You find him guilty and you say that he doesn't have immunity while in office to do the things that you accuse him of doing? Guess what? We got all this waiting for you. Why do we not do that? Well, because, thanks for the call, Why do we not do that? Well, one is you need jurisdiction. Number two is, so you're talking about Republican state's attorneys or even uh, U.S. attorneys, you need jurisdiction, number one. Number two, um, do we really want to say, since you're doing the uh, Leventre Beria, show me the man and I'll find you the crime, then we're going to do the same thing? You really want that to be the uh, default position of both parties and our justice system? Give me the target and I'll find the crime. That's not how it's supposed to work. That's not, that's not how it can work if you want a free society. I'm not saying you take a pass on somebody that uh, was within your jurisdiction and who broke the law because uh, he's a Democrat. Quite the opposite. But you can't take the position that they've taken. That this is one of those uh, situations where we could be them, they couldn't be us, and we should guard that difference jealously. Mark, Northwest Side. Well, Dan, you're touching on it. I think Jordan did as well. My biggest frustration, I think a, a large part of the frustration in the general populace, is whether it be a bureaucrat, a politician, you know, a federal agent, what have you, uh, they can get away with this stuff. They leave with their pensions, their uh, freedom, you know, they're financially intact. They walk away and they laugh at us. And that's my biggest uh, point. I'm so disheartened that there's no accountability held on a personal level for what they're doing to this country. I agree 100%. Thanks for the call, Mark. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, uh, building off our conversation at the end of last hour about uh, the Matt Gates-Lloyd Austin exchange yesterday on forgiveness. Lloyd Austin has done and will not uh, reconsider reinstating the 8,600 military men and women that he vax mandated out of the service. Uh, and also... Um, our friend uh, Pierre uh, uh, Poilieve, uh, Poilieve, excuse me, uh, in Canada, who uh, presented this documentation of top pathogen public health official in Canada 
collaborating with Chinese communists, including not just in like the Wuhan Virology Lab, not just with their scientists, but but as with the, a military commander in the People's Liberation Army, who is their point person for bioweapons. I mean, the West just uh, doing China's bidding for, you know, with, 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 without prompting. Um, for more on uh, this sort of commitment we have to continuing to uh, remind people what happened during the height of COVID and keep you abreast of what is happening as the revisionism is fully afoot from those who were the shot callers, pun intended. Please be joined by F. Billy McMorris, who's academic director of the National Journalism Center. And a contributing editor for The Spectator, Billy McMorris. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Dan Namey. So um, you wrote a piece for The Spectator that uh, presents yet another example of what we're talking about and what needs to be recalled, what needs to be part of our institutional memory before it's uh, erased from the permanent record. Tell us about uh, September 2020 and uh, this moment where the policy response at the federal level to COVID could have changed for the better, but didn't. So the the White House Coronavirus Task Force wanted to, in keeping with uh, Donald Trump's vision for opening up the country, wanted to target testing for uh, nursing homes, for, for vulnerable populations, and stop the kind of mass hysteria that was being used to justify lockdowns. And you could see Trump uh, again and again taking social media to say, hey, let's reopen the economy. And again and again, his own cabinet officials and his own appointees, as well as the establishment uh, control of federal health agencies, undermined him. He, he would tweet one thing and then Dr. Fauci would come out and reignite panic and provide cover for people like J.B. Pritzker and Gretchen Whitmer to continue to lock down the economy. And that's something that a lot of these a lot of these governors and a lot of these uh, public health officials who have been championing the idea of a covid amnesty. You know, please forgive us our mistakes. We didn't know anything. They're now trying to scrub the record and they're trying to say, no, no, we didn't shut down. It was totally, uh, it was, you have Randy Weingarten from the teachers union, um, who is on record, uh, scaremongering. You saw the Chicago okay. teachers strike when they tried to bring kids back in the classroom. She's now trying to gaslight everybody, uh, for, if I may use an overused word, to pretend that she was on the front lines of reopening. Oh my God. And, People taking advantage of a a spirit of charity and instead uh, leveraging it to make everybody forget exactly what they did. And it's it's obvious why you see learning loss. You see the suffering that uh, that children underwent. You saw cancer patients skipping cancer treatments. And everybody wants you to forget that this that this is what they did. Right. And there's there, but the, but like moments like this, like August 2020, uh, which you write about in The Spectator, you know, it's these inflection points that we can remember um, if we're reminded. 
August 2020, there was this conversation. So, so, you know, six months into it all, it could have gone so differently for so many people. So many people ended up being fired from their jobs or dismissed from the military. Could have gone so different. And Fauci, um, per your accounting, was uh, aware of this, was aware of the policy change that was afoot that you were just describing in terms of uh, focus testing on areas of high incidence with uh, vulnerable populations like in nursing homes. Is the stuff that we forget we knew as early as the late summer into the early fall of 2020. And he pretended he didn't know because he was uh, having a, a medical procedure himself. And so I was, uh, you know, I, I was incapacitated because I was having this medical procedure. So I had no idea that this was being rolled out. He said this on CNN. So then he's like, wait a second. They didn't tell Fauci or Fauci. They're going, they're end running Fauci and so on and so forth. But it's, that, was all, that was all disingenuous at best. Uh, I, I, I don't casually accuse somebody of lying but it's it seems awful convenient that dr fauci would pretend he was caught completely unawares by this uh, and of course turn to cnn to leak that information but but even fauci today is is you hear about uh, the, what's coming out of the house committee investigation into covid there's a hundred different yeah. instances in which he is pleading ignorance. And that is, I find that remarkable to believe that this man who is so proud of his record was speaking, barnstorming the country, taking to the airwaves, being named a time man of the year, is now pretending that he had no recollection of any of these things that led to him becoming a worldwide celebrity. Well, what about six, Bar- six. Burke, Dr. Burks? I mean, she, I love when you wrote that she's famous for wearing scarves and touring the country. But she came up with that arbitrary closing times for bars and restaurants. And what science and data did she have to 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 make those decisions? So, th- thankfully, we have Scott Alice's memoir from his yeah. time serving on the coronavirus task force because he recounts countless meetings where it was very clear that Dr. Burke had not read any of the scientific literature that she was using to justify the lockdown, that they, their methodology was laughable at best. But she had her own agenda. She championed that agenda back then. And she's one of the people who is still panicking about COVID today. After everything that has come out, she's very committed. Uh, she, she was taken to... Um, the airwaves, I think it was NBC, back in August 2023, saying, you know, the deadliest COVID wave is going to come back. Make sure you, you're, you know, mask your children, mask your wife. Uh, I, I may be paraphrasing a little bit. Yeah, right. But, well, and, and the, the testimony from Fauci, too, the six feet apart, that just sort of appeared out of nowhere. Oh, really? Something just appeared out of nowhere and you decided to make it uh, formal policy and, uh, yeah, and wash your hands, cover your mouth, put on your mask, stand six feet, stand in your idiot circle and so on and so forth. Rinse and repeat, uh, literally and figuratively. Uh, but but it just it just appeared from, uh, you know, off off stage left or something. I mean, all this stuff is just preposterous. And yet again, you you have this frustration in the body politic, at least some of it that it just seems like nobody's even paying attention, much less is there any prospect of accountability. 
Well, but this is one interesting aspect of how the COVID revisionism has been occurring in America is we saw a hardcore lockdown regimes in Great Britain and New Zealand and Australia. Mm-hmm. You saw a public backlash to their COVID handling, but many of the lockdown governors have paid zero political price in the, yes. in the midterms. Exactly. We saw some of these champions for panic come out and win in landslides. So it seems like there is a, a certain renaissance among the voting public, particularly in blue states, to just, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, wash their hands of this. Right. To hold, and, because because and so, well, we, we did what we did. Yeah, right. Because to hold them accountable would be holding themselves accountable. Exactly. And this is one of the one of the interesting aspects about the DeSantis campaign run is, you know, you saw a man who wanted to make COVID handling and uh, COVID accountability a centerpiece of his presidential run. And uh, President Trump, of course, uh, started defending Newsom's actions. And yeah, it's ridiculous. About his relationship with Gavin Newsom. Yeah. And one of the things is, uh, you know, DeSantis put in place the policies that Trump was only tweeting about. And I think Trump uh, would be in the right to make the make democratic handling of lockdowns a centerpiece of his 2024 campaign. But I think he might have hamstrung himself a little bit in an effort to win the primary. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a good observation. Something else that he could do, though, which he will never do. And we said this during the run up to the primary, which is you should uh, exercise the rarest of all characters, uh, character traits, some humility and say, you know, I was wrong about that. I should have been more aggressive. I should have either sidelined Fauci and Burks or I should have added people like Scott Atlas and and others earlier to provide a a wider breadth of, of expert opinion on this. There's things I could have done differently. Um, but one of the things he could do now, because I, I, this, this, this sort of perplexes me, too, and frustrates me, especially with I know there's online groups um, of the vaccine injured. One of the things he could do now is say, look, um, we're going to, to figure out a way to compensate the vaccine injured because this was even though the Supreme Court overturned that uh, OSHA gambit by the Biden administration. This was about as close to a federal mandate to get vaxxed as uh, it will as possible without it actually being a mandate um, all the pressure uh, socially professionally to get vaxxed and for those who didn't want to and they did it and they didn't need to or they shouldn't have or they got injured we have to do something to make this right the, the all the things that we did wrong nobody's saying that uh, nobody's really doing any deep dive into giving the American public a real handle on the the, the number of vaccine injured and the the sort of the character of these injuries. And I think Trump and Republicans and, and including on that select COVID committee would uh, do themselves well to figure out a way to provide a little bit of justice there. Well, that that is one thing about Biden's handling is he, he didn't just vax out American heroes from the military. He didn't just purge uh, the ranks of seasoned combat veterans. He tried to weaponize your company's HR departments, your school districts, yeah. uh, COVID panic in order to vaccinate perfectly healthy children that we knew not just at the end of 
the COVID panic, that we were aware within the first two months of this worldwide scourge, we knew that this didn't hurt children. And that is a, a failure that nobody has paid a price for. Billy McMorris, academic director for the National Journalism Center, contributing editor for The Spectator as well. Billy, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Dan and Amy. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Open mic. Open mic Friday. Call it now. Yes, it's that time of the week. Open Mic Friday. Taking your calls, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro. Answer line, comments, compliments, concerns, criticisms, general crack pottery. We'll take it all. It's sponsored by turnkey.pro. And we begin, as always, with turnkey.pro founder David Kolsak. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Good morning. I'm glad to see that you're back, Dan. Have a yes. good week. Yes, thank you. Thank you. He's two nice days off. Charge. I mean, I missed him Happy so to much, be back. but I can't miss yes. him if he doesn't leave. So it's yeah. true. <laughs> yes, there's only so much golf I can play. Yes. Well, so so where to begin today? Um, it seems to me that ever since I was a kid, I can always remember there was a bad guy. You know, in the '40s it was Hitler. Then we pivoted to Soviet Union and the Cold War. I'm I'm sure you wouldn't classify any of their leaders as bad guys. Um, <laughs> Stalin, Malenkov, Khrushchev. Gorbachev, and then we went to the Soviet Union as it was dissolved and Russia rose. We had Yeltsin and now Putin. These people were never touted as anything but bad guys. So it makes sense to me, you know, to unify people against a common enemy. It's a pattern and it's interesting. Uh, Some more bad guys, Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein, Kim Jong-un, Fidel Castro, Ayatollah Khomeini, Ho Chi Minh, and uh, Muammar Gaddafi. You know, I admit I didn't like any of those guys. I still don't. And uh, I believe everything that the media told me about them. You know, come to think of it, when I was in high school, I think they doubled down on, you know, kind of the information. But that's a topic for another time. Anyway, the truth is that the mainstream media has done a really lot. It has a lot to do with our perceptions of world leaders as they paint a picture. Um, to one. So, you know, they've done a great job through the years influencing people to believe whatever story they're telling. We need bad guys to be good guys. Right. So I remember vividly after 9-11, I think everybody feels this way how angry I was. I, I even thought about you know, enlisting in the army. I was like 33 at the time. And I was like, I'm going to go get them. You know, so um, right. the media was on TV and, and we were all glued to our TVs. And I bought that whole story hook, line and sinker. And anybody who didn't believe that narrative, you know, was delusional or just plain nuts. It was spectacular plan and it worked for a long time. But the problem is that the mainstream media is failing and their stranglehold over the people is, is over. You can see this by all the layoffs. I mean, you look at Vice, Washington Post, Fox, LA Times, Sports Illustrated, Time, Inside, Business Insider, Wall Street Journal, and the list goes on. CBS even fired Catherine Herridge and confiscated all of her notes and sources. Now, I'm not sure if that's related to a failing news organization or rather a firing of a reporter who was actually doing her job. How about NPR Uh, in Chicago? Uh, How about NPR in Chicago? NPR in Chicago just cut local programming programming down to an hour a day. Uh, Even with state subsidies, they can't uh, get people to tune in, I guess. No, of course not. Why, why do they need to be subsidized? Yeah, right. But the point is, is that people aren't watching or buying any, any of the news that they, they once trusted. Good. You know, people are seeing that they, 
they can't they can't trust him because all their narratives have been proven false. If you look at like 2016 through 2019, it was Russia collusion. You know, it turns out that they made the whole thing up and they used it to justify obstructing Trump's presidency. You know, but there are no apologies. Let's go have lunch. Right. So 2019 through 2022, it was COVID-19 and vaccines. They lied to us about the man-made origins, the masks, the efficacy, the safety of the vaccines. I mean, Dr. Burke, you were, Burke, you were just talking about her, you know, and then they used it to steal an election and justify installing a, a global biomedical police state. You know, what's worse is that it's all coming out now that the excess deaths are not from COVID-19, but rather from the vaccines themselves. And in the end, you know, another busted narrative to a grave level of concern for those who believe them and took the vaccine. So 2022 until now, it's been all Ukraine. You know, they lied to us about the CIA State Department color revolution in 2014. The status of the war, the widespread Nazism, corruption, U.S.-funded biolabs and training intelligence bases. They used it to launder hundreds of billions, billions with a B, of taxpayer money while sacrificing hundreds of thousands of life. You know, in any case, if, if you didn't hear, the mainstream media is now admitting that the Ukraine is the CIA proxy, an article that actually appeared in the New York Times, not exactly a conservative news outlet. It's a complete flip-flop of say the old headline in the New York Times was, Russia's unfounded claims of secret U.S. biolabs linger on and on. And now it reads, the spy war, how the CIA secretly helps Ukraine fight Putin. So the CIA partnership in Ukraine goes way back to 2014 when regime change occurred in Ukraine with our help or quite possibly our insistence. But what this means is that Putin's invasion of Ukraine was not unprovoked and that the U.S. are the expansionists overthrowing sovereign nations for geopolitical gain, not them. In other words, the U.S. brought the war to Putin's doorstep, meaning that every single thing that the Western media told you about Ukraine was based on a lie. All the analysts that you hear on the pompous mainstream media talking heads was based on the presumption that Putin did this unprovoked just because he's literally Hitler, or in this context, he's a bad guy. But it turns out Putin's accusations of Western intelligence controlling Ukraine were correct. Therefore, his attack is more than justified. Now, just imagine if Russia had uh, funded... I disagree with that. I, I, dis, I disagree. I, go ahead. You can finish your point. But not, that, 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 even, if, even if your premise is correct and... Uh, there are some issues with it that I completely disagree with the conclusion that it justifies his invasion of a sovereign nation. Sorry, that, that doesn't well, work. Imagine, go ahead. If Russia funded Nazi militias in Canada, started a civil war in Canada, overthrew the Canadian government, then installed a puppet regime, and then they put intelligent bases and biolabs over our northern border, border, every American would be calling to flatten Canada and Russia. That's exactly what the U.S. did to Russia, and they're pissed for good reason. I mean, no. Russia tried to join, join NATO, and they were denied. Russia tried to negotiate nonviolent means to negotiate and resolve the conflict. They were denied. Russia tried to present their grievances to U.S. bioweapons and production and espionage to the U.N. They were denied. Russia tried to do the diplomatic thing. I watched the Tucker Carlson Putin interview, too, so I, I don't need Putin's answers repeated to me. I know what they are. Uh, unfortunately, they don't square with the facts, and and. That does not justify. I'm sorry. First of all, I don't agree with the analogy. It is not a perfect analogy. It, it, it assumes all sorts of things that are very much in doubt. And secondly, it still does not justify, you know, meddling in other nations, uh, which uh, I don't necessarily support. But it's done by Russian intelligence don't as well as that. U.S. intelligence as well as Chinese intelligence. Every, it does everywhere. not justify an invasion of a sovereign nation. I'm sorry that that they, that is just a leap. That is a logical leap with uh, no underlying foundation but go ahead oh, oh, yeah. 
Okay, but go ahead. Everything you just said is completely wrong, but go ahead. You know, well, bottom line is we're going to disagree on a lot of stuff, but there are are there bio labs in Ukraine? Can we agree on that? Yeah, I, I yes, there, there are there there. Well, there are bio labs in Ukraine. I mean, I you know, you've got to provide the evidentiary support in terms of funding. Would I be surprised if there was American money that made its way to those bio labs? No, I wouldn't. But, you know, the, again, I like claims of that sort to be substantiated. Well, I mean, I, I, I believe our, one of our secretaries of uh, defense or somebody in that in that department said it in Congress. They said, you know, we have bio labs there. They admitted to it. So it's not like. Yeah. It's not like it's a secret. And so so you have that and then you have this this clandestine operation in 2014, a color revolution there where we changed their regime and put Zelensky in. I mean, it's it, we meddle in people's business all the time. I understand. The bottom line I, is, I conceded that point. It doesn't justify uh, invading. It doesn't justify. And we shouldn't idly sit by while an, 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 a, a clear enemy of America and liberty in general, an autocrat like Putin, invades a sovereign nation. It doesn't justify our meddling. I'm not saying I support our meddling. I'm conceding that we do meddle. But right. you're jumping to saying, well, that justifies what Putin did. And no, it doesn't. Well, but the premise, the pre- premise of, of it being unprovoked is, is really the premise I'm arguing. But anyway, the West went out of their way to censor anybody independent what that was trying to tell the true story from day one about these bioweapons and about these military camps and whatnot. And we basically uh, we, we did some bad stuff. But the, if the public knew the detail the entire time that this was not unprovoked, they wouldn't have supported sending our tax dollars there. So now here we are. And once the tax dollars arrive, who knows where the money goes? There's just no accountability. And Bitcoin is at an all-time high, so maybe there's some of it in there. But there, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow for many uh, Americans. But Russia's not really the bad guy in this scenario. The West is the West is really the bad guy, and it's not even close, in my opinion. But a- anyway, it's amazing how they unite against us with bad guys, but divide us in every other way. The sooner that we recognize it, the better we can clean it up. And as Roy Schneider famously said in the movie Jaws, we're going to need a bigger boat. All right, anyway, David. Cheers. Thank, thank you Have very a great much. Thanks, David. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, um, there's 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 a lot there, and I don't want to take up the entire time on this. But I mean, there there are academics like John Mearsheimer, who we've um, discussed before and presented the, his arguments that um, uh, that make something on the order of the argument that David is making about the antagonism, sort of the the NATO antagonism that uh, made a jumpy Putin even more jumpy and so on and so forth. And so there's some, you know, in terms of like, do we make the best geopolitical decisions, not just we, the United States, but did NATO and so on and so forth? Well, I mean, there's a lot there. There's a lot of of uh, what Putin witnessed, including our Afghanistan withdrawal that uh, may have incentivized things as well. So the lack of competence, the strategic decisions we made, the strategic decisions the West made, uh, our response after he invaded and took over Crimea. But to say that Putin is not the bad guy, the West is the bad guy, is to be wrong, number one, and to vastly oversimplify it and to paper over who Putin is. I don't know why we spend, uh, any conservative would spend a moment uh, running uh, a recasting effort for a KGB autocrat. Putin is a legacy of the former Soviet Union, a totalitarian society. He is a totalitarian by his nature. There have, there are, I mean, innumerable examples of it. 
dissidents imprisoned like the one who just died. I mean, for God's sakes, we've got a Wall Street Journal uh, reporter there, Gerskovich, who shouldn't be in prison there. So let, let's let's not lose our minds here, as I've had to say before, with uh, some of this stuff as it pertains to Ukraine and Russia. It doesn't mean it doesn't justify every decision we made. It doesn't mean that we don't have some bad actors, that we made some bad decisions, that it doesn't justify uh, writing uh, uh, blank checks to Ukraine without accountability as the money sloshes around and setting up a virtual PPP program there. All that's right. So there's lots of variables and lots of room for constructive criticism. But to to synthesize it all down to the West is the bad guy here, even though we were told Putin is the bad guy. No way. No way. Come on. Okay. Uh, Rick in Downers Grove. Hey, good morning. Can I get a question about reporters, even good ones like Brett Baer, who I really like? It was like last, they never asked, like an obvious follow-up question. Like last Saturday, he was interviewing Nikki Haley before the South Carolina primary, and she said 70% of the American people do not want Trump or Biden as president. They're the two most hated politicians in the country. And she follows it up with, and that's the fact. I instantly thought, well, if that's a fact, how come you haven't won any primaries that you lost to? None of the above. It looks like you're going to get trounced in your home state. And in the same interview, she says, even if I lose, I am going to, I want to give the American people a choice. I instantly thought they made their choice and it's not you. Why yeah, do you not I, respect their right. choice? Yeah, I get it. Thanks for the call, Rick. I mean, right. This is, the, you know, Nikki Haley's, this is Yogi Berra saying, um, I, I, I don't, uh, what, um, I don't go to that way. What's, what's the Yogi Berra-ism? Um, that restaurants, I can't get into the restaurants too crowded. Nobody goes there anymore. Something like that, right? I mean, it's, it's just sort of the same thing. Is nobody wants Biden and Trump, and yet Biden and Trump are winning primaries, and they're going to be the nominees. So, I mean, I, nobody wants what's what they're voting for. Nobody wants to go to a, a nobody goes to a restaurant that's too crowded to get into. Right? Got it. Uh, Dawn in Naperville. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I wanted to give a real life example of COVID closure accountability by the people. Um, several, it was about three years ago, several families in Oakland and LA, specifically parents of Black and Hispanic students, um, were represented by the public council and other organizations. They sued the state of California, and the state of California settled last month for $2 billion. Um, the interesting thing about the case is that it wasn't just aiming at regrouping educational loss for these students, um, but also it was talking about how the, the area of discrepancy gap for black and Latino communities. Um, the problem is these funds are not going to go directly to the families. It's going to go what was already earmarked for, um, for learning loss. But, you know, what's interesting to me is – you know, we're talking about equity and equality. And here, what is the result of the equity and equality in our school system? You know, how are people supposed to have a career open to the talent, as Martin Friedman uh, once spoke about, if you can't read or do basic math? It just, it just doesn't make any sense. And to me, it's a product of the injustice because we don't have wisdom and discretion and it seems like our own school system pick and choose 
who they want to be successful. And, and it's, it's not the poor. It certainly isn't kids with disabilities. Otherwise, we wouldn't have civil rights to protect these individuals. So um, I would recommend everybody. Uh, President Reagan gave a beautiful uh, speech. It was at a prayer breakfast in Texas in uh, August 23rd of 1984. And that is where she said, if we ever forget that we're a nation under God, we were going to be a nation gone under. And you've got to be a fool to see that what's going on around us, the chaos around us, that is what's happening to us. So I hope we have some leaders that address that. Thanks for the call, Don. Uh, the Prime Minister of England, uh, who goes by Kevin and lives in Ogden Dunes, Indiana. I mean, Ireland. 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 You said what England. Oh, Ireland. I'm sorry. Yeah. A, a rare mistake by Mr. Prop. <laughs> okay, and he'll yeah, lament about it all weekend long. Yeah, right. Go ahead. So, you know, minister. the governor, the governor is shocked. First gambling in Casablanca, and now that Google Gemini, artificial intelligence caught generating, can you believe it? Racist fake history. Baby Lizzo quizzed the computer. <laughs> What's white on top and black on the bottom? And AI replied, society. <laughs> AI told the governor. <laughs> AI okay. told the governor. Back when your man Jefferson Davis was in high school, he was voted most likely to secede. Hi-o. Yet, a- yet AI refuses to generate white. Crafting portraits of a black Amadeus Mozart in hoodie. He puts the thing <laughs> in Wolfgang. AI presented him breakdancing while he composed the hip-hop. <laughs> Racially diverse founding fathers. Minnesota Vikings. Even female popes. All portrayed, caught in the act, spray-painting graffiti. <laughs> the governor believes AI could have dire consequences. Rewrite history to insert blacks in leadership roles could foil JB's plan to redistribute conservatives' life savings. Ergo, fake AI history could derail paying trillions to supporters via reparations. And I thank you. Thank you, Prime Minister. Oh, boy. Matt, Southside. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. I wanted to just make a suggestion that I think bowling may be the perfect sport for men, women, and transgenders. I was at the bowling alley a couple weeks ago. I saw a sign-up sheet, a league sign-up sheet. It was for men, women, and uh, seniors, and then they had the mixed leagues. So I think we should just have mixed leagues for everybody. And then I did see a sign on one of the doors that said, no pets allowed. Now, I think if the bowling alley wants to be really safe, they should get rid of that sign because you're going to have one or two people who identify as cats come in, and we'll just put litter boxes in all the bathrooms, and that'll make everybody feel welcome and included in their safe space. Thanks for the call, Matt. Uh, it's Rich today, boy. Tom in Blue Island. Good morning, Dan, Dan and Amy. Dan Lakin Riley. Uh, Earlier this week, you mentioned Kate Steinle. That was 2015. Her image is still seared on my brain. Beautiful young women 
American women killed by these subhuman, I don't even know what to call them, scumbags, absolute scumbags. And to anyone that's raised a daughter, MK mentioned her daughter the other day, they're your whole life. And when one of these girls are killed by these animals, which isn't even appropriate, it makes you feel like, as a man, you let them down. I, I wish I could have been there for that bullet that hit Kate Steinle to hit me, or I wish I could have been walking where Lincoln Riley was right as that jag was about to attack and have them have a go with me. And it, it makes me feel like we've let the women, we've let women down and the women of this country, and it feels like, it feels like you take a chip out of out of what's truly American, a beautiful young woman with her whole life in front of her, and it's devastating. And Biden can make as many trips to Texas as he wants, and that woman who's the communications director, solely because she's a lesbian, can say it's a big deal as much as she wants. But that's not going to change how American men feel about it. It's as devastating a tragedy as there can be. Yeah, thanks, Tom. And I want, I want to say Tom. something about that, too, because today she's being laid to rest. Today's her funeral. And uh, please don't let the mainstream media take the focus off of who's to blame. Yesterday, um, people were tweeting out that, you know, she did. There's evidence that she was trying to call 911 and they were blaming police that no authorities traced the call to find her. Don't let them change the narrative. And then all, the day before, they were saying, you know, he, he acted the way he did because she fought back. Keep fighting back. Don't victim shame her. This is not her fault. This is not the police officer's fault. This is the Biden administration's fault because they let him in. And this is New York's fault because then after he um, assaulted a child, he still wasn't deported. So don't don't let them do that, please. Yeah. And remember the comments you heard from those that are flacking for the way things are open borders, including open borders for criminals, including open borders for the kind of person that would murder a young woman. Uh, this is Katie Porter, Congresswoman from California, running for U.S. Senate. Well, I think when a horrible tragedy like, like this happens, I think whenever we're dealing um, with violent crime, there is a sense of outrage, of sadness, and of loss. But I think the important thing to focus on is any one instance shouldn't shape our overall immigration policy, which has so many different facets, including economic choices about what workers to allow in and how to create prosperity in America. So the situation is tragic and it's a loss and it's important to acknowledge that, but also to recognize all the other how all the other parts of immigration policy fit together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's too bad what happened. But, you know, let's move on already. We got we got to focus on how the, yet. the moving parts of our immigration system, and and again the the follow up question that wasn't asked, really, wh which moving part would allow somebody like the individual accused of murdering Lake and Riley in this country? Because one of the moving parts right now is doing that. Oh yeah, that wasn't asked. Not just not just Katie Porter. I mean, again, I, this just got worse as the week went on. The mayor of Athens, Georgia, this eunuch named Kelly Gertz, of course, lifelong educator. Of course okay. he is. And he mentioned that, too, in the press conference. Nobody cares. That those families that are here came here under less than ideal circumstances. 
I've outlined my desire for better, better federal legislation that would standardize the immigration process. We've not been living in that environment. I mentioned I was a career educator. I've worked with a lot of students and their families in this community. And the practical reality is that those families tend to be blended amongst a variety of immigration statuses. We want to create a stable environment for people in our communities. And when that community is disrupted by hate or vitriol, that's not a safe environment for their school children and their families to live in. So that's the reaction to Lake and Riley's murder, is to talk about uh, the safe environment for people in this country illegally, who he seemed to say are here sort of accidentally through no fault of their own. They happen to be uh, in our community or in this country. Of course, none of that is true. This is a reaction you're getting to all of the violent crime that we've documented this week, starting with Lake and Riley's murder. That's who you're dealing with on on the other side. Frank on the northwest side. Hi, good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, I just wanted to bring up a point where it seems there are some similarities between what happened in uh, China in the 60s before communism and uh, what's going on now in the United States where they're trying to remove, defund the police and you know, through indoctrination and, and brainwashing, basically. Um, I just want to get your point on that, because it seems like that's what they're trying to do to sort of turn us into a communist or socialist state. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, th- thanks for the call, Frank. I mean, right there. I mean, it's the disintegration strategy that Peter Schweitzer outlined nicely yesterday. And I, I guess that's uh, from the excerpts I've read. It's central to uh, the thesis of his new book, Blood Money. So I'd encourage you to listen to our conversation with Peter Schweitzer from yesterday um, because yeah that maybe this is this is Sun Tzu this is you know uh, win the war without firing a bullet let your opponent you know facilitate your opponent uh, engendering his own demise and the uh, plays are the fentanyl manufacture and distribution in this country Trump was right when he said at the border yesterday, poisoning, poisoning our kids, poisoning young people in this country. That's well, that's what's happening. Um, The uh, trafficking in guns to uh, street gangs, the um, social media manipulations through TikTok. I mean, not that there aren't other actors afoot on social media and other platforms. There certainly are. But just uh, just a few examples the um, response to the viral outbreak at the Wuhan Virology Lab. And still certain questions unanswered about that. What other bioterrorism is uh, potentially being cooked up in China? Um, The Confucius Institutes on college campuses. I mean, there's right. There's a lot of moving parts here, and it all comes in the form of um, incentivizing us to do things that may be ultimately detrimental. And it it starts from the philosophy that turned out to be wrong, that we were going to bring China into the community of nations, communist China into the community of nations, confer them MFN status for trading purposes, and uh, through trade, we would 
defang them and make them an ally or at least a responsible nation rather than a predator. And what we turned out to have done, it seems pretty clear at this point, is to have subsidized our greatest enemy, to have subsidized the greatest threat to freedom in the Western world. James in Naples. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, we know that Joe Biden is the peg boy of G and Putin and Obrador, but, and he's done enormous harm to the country. But do you think in terms of a strategy for Donald Trump, would it make sense for him to, when he talks about his revenge tour, or lack of revenge, to actually pardon or state that he would pardon Joe Biden in advance of the election? Thanks for the call, James. Boy, um, you know, I think if I were him, I would just stick with uh, success for America is going to be my revenge. Having a successful country with border security and safer streets and more economic opportunity and lower prices at the pump and the grocery store, that's going to be my quote-unquote revenge. I wouldn't get into uh, extending any olive branches in that direction, the way they were extended to Hillary Clinton. I think it's a fool me one situation here because um, I do want part of the revenge and the success for America to include a reckoning for law enforcement and federal law enforcement and national security agencies and also the Biden family for what is pretty obvious pretty strong circumstantial case they were involved in. Um, And uh, we'll see what additional evidence comes out as the impeachment inquiry investigation goes forward. But yeah, I wouldn't be real excited to, uh, you know, it's with some misplaced notion of for the good of the country, I'm going to tell you that we're going to end all of this business if I'm elected, because I don't think it really gets him anything. I don't think it'll. I don't think it. He'll get any sort of reciprocity in terms of the response if Trump were to be elected again, because I, as we've said, talked about before. Actually, earlier this week, I think the response is going to be violent and chaotic for an extended period of time, and the idea that they won't be engaging in lawfare from the outside, and. They're they're within their circles of influence on the inside the same way they did from 2016 to 2020 is naive. John and Marengo. Hey, um, I was going to say, I I think what Greg Abbott ought to start doing is instead of, uh, you know, putting them on buses and driving them to Chicago and New York and all these places, put them in a bus with black windows and bring them right to Mexico and tell them it's Arizona. Uh, okay. Thanks for the call, John. Uh, Pete and Glen Ellen. Dan and Amy, good morning. Um, I'm not uh, talking about uh, illegals or uh, oligarchs, but okay. the, uh, suburban oligarchs. Um, and I just want to bring attention to the uh, high school district 8783 million dollars slash $312 million referendum that's on the March 19th ballot. Um, you know, the district is saying that they want to improve safety and security measures in the district. This is for this is for Glenbard High Schools. Yeah, Glenbard High Schools. Mm-hmm. They, they, it's just so irresponsible. They're putting out um, uh, stuff saying that they want to improve the safety and security at the schools, but they're sitting on 110 million dollars in cash. 
you know, which is just it's just offensive and, and irresponsible. Um, we're trying to run a vote no campaign. Um, your your users can um, um, visit our website, votenod87.com. They've already got over fifty thousand dollars from their vendors, um, you know, to support the the vote yes campaign. And we're trying to stay under the D two uh, you know recording to run our campaign. So it's an uphill battle, but uh, thanks for taking the call. Wait, 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 Pete, real quick. So, what yeah. if the if the if the bond issue passed? What would that mean for the uh, the average property tax owner in Glen Ellen? Do you know that you know somebody who owns a three hundred thousand or four hundred thousand dollar home that would increase their taxes by how much? Do you have any idea? Well, well, first of all, show me a three hundred thousand dollar house. Well, yeah, house. okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Secondly, right. It's uh, th- you know three hundred dollars you know um, a year, but. Um, you know, you multiply that out, you know, I mean, we've got a lot of homes that are, you know, eight, nine million dollar homes. And, you know, then you're talking a thousand, twelve hundred dollars. We have a, we have an online calculator uh, to do that. So okay. It's, you have an online calculator at the site. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks for the call, Pete. I mean, and by the way, yeah, you've got some uber wealthy people, but you also have some middle income people still in Glen Ellen who've lived there all their lives. Just like you have a middle income person in Wheaton named Larry Proft who's lived there all his life and his house is probably not worth 250 grand so you know it's not all the rich and famous there in Glen Ellen and these western burbs paying these usurious property taxes Chuck and Delavan to close it out hey thanks for mentioning about my band uh papering over who Putin is hey two weeks ago I keep telling you guys about these white chicken chilies I've been winning last week a week ago I was with 275 bikers first place last week I was with 250 Lutherans at the Sugar Creek Lutheran Church in Wisconsin. So I quit my job yesterday. So what I want to do is I want to propose that I come down to the studio and I'll cook in a 15-minute segment. I'll give us all the recipes for this delicious Air Mongolian chicken chili. So I was wondering if I could do that next week. Uh, we're going to set it up yeah. for sure. Yeah, absolutely, Chuck. Actually, yeah. Chuck in studio, that's, that's the lock. Absolutely. Santa Claus comes early. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773 773- 467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.